It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast, episode 108. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, my tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J? Oh, here we are. Hey, you know, the J is in the his, and I am as pumped as ever. I'm as pumped this week, hey, Ed, actually, as what were those shoes called back in the day? The Reeboks? Oh, yeah. Pumps. pumps. As pumped as pumps. How, how much more pumped can you be? But yeah, really, really excited this week for the, 10, the 108. I can't even keep up with us anymore, man. Getting, we're going to sh- sh- slowly yet surely be deep in the hondos. Hey, Ed, with the 108th episode of the What's Roll podcast. Amazing. But that's how pumped I am. Hey, Ed, I'm already slipping over words and all over the place. But you know the J. That's how we like to see it and hear it here at the What's Roll podcast. Let's do the damn thing. Oh. We have a great show lined up this week, guys, of course. Uh, now, this might sound like, uh, what do you call it? deja vu, if you will. Uh, we have an AEW Revolution pay-per-view preview this week, again, on the show from a little snafu. We'll explain that. Uh, we're going to be talking Peacemaker, since season one of Peacemaker is now finished through HBO and HBO Max. Me and the Jay are going to talk about that. And it is the big return, the Jay of Thursday Night Prime. We're going back to 1989. We're talking American Ninja 3. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. So let's just get into some show stuff here that we need to clean up, I I suppose. Like I mentioned, uh, we're doing the AEW pay-per-view preview, which we did last week. little mixing up of dates on our part. I apologize uh, for our part on that. Uh, so, and it works anyways, because there was a lot of stuff when we did the show that was, uh, to be announced. So, and now we have the majority of that stuff. So there's still a lot of cool stuff to talk about there. Uh, and we're going to do that this week on the show. Um, another thing that we obviously have to mention here is I apologize all of us here at the What's Real podcast, but specifically me, I apologize to you guys for about the last three weeks to a month of programming here on the show because my audio has been horrible lately. Uh, We've been dealing with some tech issues and trying to work our way through them for about the last month. Hopefully now we have those fixed. You guys might notice that we sound a little bit better this week or a lot better this week, I should say. So thank you for sticking in there. Hopefully that's the end of that. You never know with technology, so never say never. But hopefully we are on the right path as far as that's concerned moving forward. Big, big ups to the wizard. Hey, yo. Absolutely. Yes. Shout out to, and no, you know, nobody beats the whiz. That's why I say it every week here because, uh, you know, Cam gets things done, really helping us out. We appreciate him so much on the show. Uh, thanks, Cam, again, for, for helping out with everything on that and uh, making this sound so good, uh, which we, you know, we... See, there, there's, I guess, a battle here, the J, if you will. There's two things that are super important to all of us that are on the show, that work on the show, what have you. It is the quality of the sound and is the fact that we bring you guys some sort of content each and every week. And whenever you're having tech issues, um, the best way to do it, I guess, is just kind of like to put your head down and just bolt through it the best that you can, which is kind of what we've done. 
um, because we want to deliver a show each and every week. So I, if it was been a, a strain on you guys to listen uh, because of that, I do apologize. I thank you for sticking in there with us too, because uh, we want you guys to listen to the show. Uh, but and and it kind of sucks too, just the timing of it, because it was all during the month of Melvin, which is one of the things that we are very proud of here on the show too. That we like to do that month every February. Uh, it's the only month that we really do something like that. So. Uh, you know, it was unfortunate that it worked out that way, but hopefully, like I said, that we're just on the other side of it moving forward. Shit happens. Hey, yeah, it just does. But it, it's just funny. We we mentioned like only our luck because you and I growing up together, we both can say we've we have very weird luck in life. We're just some mm-hmm. of those th- that type of people with our personalities and the shenanigans we get into just on even just a regular everyday basic <laughs> basis, you know. And it's just funny that it, in, in the third season, the third year of doing the podcast is when we had <laughs> the, the most consistent longest string of tech issues. But again, it is what it is. And, and that's what's good about us here at the What's Real podcast. Uh, the three amigos, man, that's why we're a good team. None of us got frustrated. We didn't get on each other or anything like that we just all got our heads together and started working on solutions and tried varying things from week to week and i think like you mentioned we finally found uh the best route to take to get back to what i call cam's work as the wizard behind the boards that 16k crystal clear audio here on the what's real podcast so yeah we just want to get back to keyword there hey uh, consistency and just uh, consistent solid audio every week for all of those listening right now that spend time with us um you know hopefully we're back to that and we can just move on like we said we're going to be getting up there in the hundred some episodes so let's let's roll on forward peeps we got through the tech issues absolutely so let's just get into it shall we the j uh this is pretty interesting i, I don't know how much you've seen about this or, or looked into this the j but uh, we've been talking pretty regularly here on the show about the USFL. Uh, and just last week on the show, we were kind of talking about, you know, like the draft already kind of took place. Like, why don't we know what's really going on? And then it it just so happened that almost immediately after we recorded the show, uh, they started releasing the draft results for all eight teams. Uh, it's it, they did it a little bit different. So they the first round was all quarterbacks. Second through fourth were edge rushers, defensive ends. Five through seven were offensive tackles. Eight through eleven were cornerbacks. Uh, round twelve was quarterbacks again. Thirteen to seventeen was wide receivers. Eighteen to nineteen were safeties. Twenty centers. Twenty-one inside linebackers. Twenty-two, twenty-three were offensive guards. Twenty-four through twenty-six were defensive tackles and nose tackles. 27 and 28 were running backs and fullbacks. 29 to 31 were outside linebackers. 32 was kickers. 33 was punters. 34 was tight ends and halfbacks. And 35 were long snappers. In total, 280 players were selected during the inaugural USFL draft. They will fill 35 of each team's 38 roster spots. So teams will each have an additional 10 players after the draft, or they will have to add 10 players after the draft. Um, They're planning to host a supplemental draft in March in the event that the other players join the league talent pool. So, uh, and I don't know if you've seen some of the players, but, you know, not really big names. Like, for example, I'm looking at Birmingham here. They have day one, uh, and I'm just looking through, like, Aaron Adoye, their second-round pick, their defensive end I've heard of. Uh, None of these other names are really ringing a bell. Day two, I'm looking through here again. 
nobody that particularly rings a bell. Houston Gamblers, uh, another one where the names aren't really doing anything. Oh, here. dude, they got uh, Chris Doom. Great. <laughs> uh, I mean, now, Michigan, they have Adewale Adoye, who I've heard of. They have Shea Patterson, a quarterback that I remember, a college quarterback that I remember. They also have Paxton Lynch, who was a, a stealer at one point, uh, but he only made the practice squad, but he played for Denver. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that the talent level here isn't good, but it's just not a lot of recognizable talent, which is understandable. But, I mean, at the same time, like, you would even think some quarterbacks would be recognized. Yeah, I was going to say, because you, you have to compare it to the U, the XFL, and the XFL had a handful, you know, like you said, not that there was any abundance, even in the few years, you know, even with the adding in the reincarnation of the XFL before the pandemic put it out. And, of course, you know, we've been covering it, the Rocks bringing it back uh, with his team next year. But they at least had like a handful of known players and coaches. Like they even had Greg yeah. Greg Olson broadcasting, and he was still an active NFL player at that time. Like yeah. that was pretty unique. And in, in the USFL here at the outset, like you said, man, it's slim pickings for for even the J as well to see any recognizable names. I, I saw that the Houston Gamblers have a Tyler Higby. I don't know if he's like the brother mm -hmm. of. Higby for nope. the Rams. <laughs> so, uh, not that I know. But, I'm pulling, but pulling for straws here, hey, yeah, for anybody the, recognizable. Well, the Tampa Bay Bandits, they have Jordan Tiamo, who was a quarterback in the XFL, uh, who I remember. Uh, and also they have Eli Rogers, former Steelers wide receiver, who I obviously yeah, remember. remember him. Yep. So, like, and that's the team, by the way, that uh, Todd Haley is the coach of, former Steelers offensive coordinator, Browns offensive coordinator. Uh, but, you know, it, it might be decent. It's just, you know, it's weird, man. Like, now, for example, the Maulers, Pittsburgh Maulers, right? We have Kyle Aletta, who I do remember being a backup quarterback for the Giants. So, okay, that's not bad. Carlo Kemp is another player that I've heard of uh, for Pittsburgh. Like, they do have a few players, but, like, you know. Isaiah Battle? Yeah. Yep. They now, but but I I was looking at it like this. It's weird, but when you look at it, it, it kind of shows you that this is what they're going for. I think, but if you look on like the list of the players that they took and everything, it looks like Pittsburgh's trying to become like what the Steelers used to be. Like they look like defense and running the ball are going to be kind of a priority for their team, just judging by the players that they took and you know what I mean. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, this is uh, definitely a wait and see situation, of course. Of so, course. Know. Talking about an embryonic so. stage, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're just getting ready to get underway, though, which is weird to think about. But it's it's crazy how quickly all this stuff comes together whenever you're talking about putting a league together. Uh, it's going to be on before you know it. I, I believe they debut towards the end of April. Yeah, right around the corner. And that's I was curious with this. Uh, the the very first pick of the draft, and that was I believe a quarterback. Um, you know, day day one pick one, Shea Patterson. Have you heard of him, Hayad? Because he was the number yeah, one overall pick. I was you mentioned. I that. was just talking. Yeah, okay. I, I remember him from. I think it's just. Oh, that's what. Okay, I thought you said cornerback. No, quarterback. That's, that's what threw me off because you were talking about this dude. So, but yeah, he was the first, the very first pick overall for Michigan. Yep. So. 
we'll have to see how this goes. But I just thought it was interesting that we were talking about this last week. And then before you know it, it's like, here's the entire roster of the whole league. Uh, but, you know, we'll have to see. I have no idea what the situation is going to be like with them playing in Birmingham. Uh, like, yeah, the whole time. Know, what's, well, like, what's the crowd situation like? What's the, you know what I mean? Like, or, or the, is there going to be a crowd? Right. <laughs> like, who knows? So we'll see. But I imagine it's probably pretty cheap to go. So, you know, as long as people in Alabama want to go to football games, then I guess it won't be that big of a deal. Yeah, because Hayat um, and the Jay aren't driving to Birmingham no, for a Mullers game no. anytime soon. I, do, I wouldn't drive to Birmingham for any reason that I can <laughs> think of. So there, there you go with that. But uh, another weird story breaking the day we record here, but uh, UFC, former UFC fighter, former uh, WWE wrestler, Cain Velasquez booked on an attempted murder charge after allegedly shooting someone. Uh, the motive and circumstances surrounding this incident are still under investigation this time, according to the police. Um, he spent Monday night in jail. Uh, TMZ Sports has confirmed the 39-year-old has been arrested and booked on an attempted murder charge. Details surrounding the specifics of this arrest are unclear, uh, though law enforcement sources tell us the former fighter was involved in a shooting in San Jose at around 3 p.m. near a local high school. In the alleged incident, one person was shot while another was arrested. Uh, noting further surrounding or nothing further surrounding the circumstances of the situation has been released. Jail records show Velasquez is still in custody as of Tuesday morning and has a court date set for Wednesday at noon. Um, so that's very unfortunate, but we don't know any other details. This is according, of course, to TMZ Sports. Uh, it's pretty unfortunate, man, that you see something like this. But whenever I saw this originally, I'm like, what situation is Cain Velasquez going to be in where he's literally going to shoot anybody? He could beat, like, he could literally almost beat a bear with his bare hands. Yeah, that's what's crazy is, and that's what sucks about the story so far, is that it's so vague. We don't have much information at all other than what you just covered. And and that just creates, obviously, many more questions than answers. And exactly that, hey, Ed, you wonder, like, what happened? why he's shooting at somebody. And on top of all that, for, it's not like I know Cain Velasquez personally by any means, and I understand he's a UFC fighter, but nonetheless, you know, even with his connection to wrestling and his brief stint within the, the WWE umbrella, it just seems like he's, you know, pretty normal laid back dude, you know, and I know anything can happen, but again, that just brings up the question, like what specifically happened here that he's getting booked and staying in jail over attempted murder in this shooting incident, because as you said, he's not even going to get uh, a court date until Wednesday morning. Yep. Or Wednesday so, at noon. I mean, I just figured it was something worth mentioning here on the show. We obviously don't have a lot of details. I'm assuming we probably will by uh, next week's show. Um, so stick with us on that one, obviously, and we'll have as much updated information as we can provide, but, as of right now, he's still in jail and uh, awaiting a court date uh, for Wednesday morning. So uh, now on to some other interesting stuff here. I don't know if you saw about this at all, the J, but uh, there's potential that LVMH is going to be uh, acquiring Ralph Lauren. And the reason why I bring that up is because LVMH is essentially the father brand to Louis Vuitton, Christian Dior, uh, Baluti, Fendi, and a few others. Um, and they also recently purchased Tiffany. Uh, this is going to be a massive deal if it does happen because 
Uh, last time I heard, and this was years ago, I want to say that Ralph Lauren's company was at least valued at around $13 billion plus. Um, and that was probably like five or six years ago. So <laughs> God damn. if they're going to, and if they're going to sell it, they're going to sell it for significantly more. Um, I kind of hope this doesn't go through because obviously I've talked about this on the show before. I'm a connoisseur myself of Ralph Lauren and you know, if a European luxury brand buys it, like that's not good at all for anybody that probably wears it or gives a shit about it in any way, because that's going to probably drastically change the pricing on their their stuff. Well, you always got to poke the bear, hey, uh, and get the J going on his disdain for corporate <laughs> corporations, and this is yet another one. And, and like you said, I mean, it's it's a, a corporation with an umbrella that includes the, those brands you went through, man. Louis Vuitton, Christian Dior, all under that. Then buying Tiffany, now going after Ralph Lauren, like it's just like our the planet Earth as we move forward here is just shrinking as far as like these monopolies go. And there's like yeah. laws around monopolies, but it just seems like so many things because all, all these things that are getting just super big and too big to fail are, are just eating everything else up. You know, you can go like a parallel situation with uh, cable and, and like the cable conglomerates. Like how many options do you have to get cable? Three or four? You yeah. know, and, and things like that. That's why obviously a lot of people have cut the cord and everything, uh, you know, not to diatribe. But but yeah, this I mean, it, it's definitely an interesting story. And, and we're two uh, guys that are big into fashion, uh, and especially you, hey, Ed, with the, the Ralph Lauren company, although I, I love my polo as well. Uh, but but yeah, looking into it, the, the article on Forbes was saying that the deal is a good idea and a good fit. But the big thing is, of course, Ralph Lauren still still being alive. Of course, the founder is 82 years old. So he has to be completely comfortable and confident in how this company is going to treat you know his own legacy here. Like that's going to be a big thing because I don't think it's going to be almost one of those things where is money going to even be an issue for him? It, it always goes back to, to me with that as well, no. Ed. I've said that to you. I'm like, how much money does, do people and companies need? I mean, we we, talk, yeah. we talked about it in varying things on the the show from week to week when we bring up some of these corporate deals and everything. Where it, it went from like, you know, when we were growing up, it, it was all about millionaires. Then it went to billionaires, and now like, these companies are hitting trillion dollar companies like Apple and, and things like that. So so that's where it's going. And like we said, it's like, how much money do you need? Well, I guess some of these people and companies that are billionaires are just looking to continue to go to the next level. What what is that next level? Tr trillionaires. Trillion dollar and, companies. It's crazy. And it not it funny too how th this becomes a pattern? It doesn't matter if you're talking something like this, if you're talking like you were saying like cable networks and, and cable companies and things like that. In any particular business or industry, it's not good when one company buys up a bunch of other ones. Um, because it's less people that have a voice in oh, a particular industry. Exactly, so much to it. It it kills competition. Yep, that's what um, I was going to say. A business fundamental you, is competition is good for business. And I know that this is a little off topic, but it's something that I, I've even been meaning to bring up to you. Um, you see, if you go to stores, because I guess this was kind of a topic online too this week about Foot Locker kind of having less and less Nike stuff in their store. Because as we've been talking about here on the podcast for quite some time, Nike is changing their business model to where they want to sell direct to consumer. And the store, the middleman is getting cut out from Nike altogether. There is not really any stores out there 
um, that can strong arm Nike into forcing, you know, like if Nike was a product that was sold in Walmarts, for example, Walmart would definitely be able to be like, you're not taking that shit away from us or we won't be selling anything that you sell or, you know what I mean? Like things like yeah, that. Yeah, they'll retract. But, but Nike's self-contained in that regard. So they can literally pull themselves from every possible retailer in the world and just sell online only direct to consumer. And it seems to be that's the way a lot of big companies are going to go. Like I think eventually Apple's going to be like that too. Um, unless they just, I feel like the only reason that Apple doesn't do that now is because they want genius bars and shit like that, or the Apple, you know, the, the place where you take your Apple shit to get fixed uh, in Best Buys, in other stores and shit. That's why they don't do that, because they want that to be available to people. Right. Yeah, and, and everything evolves and, and changes, and obviously brick-and-mortar shopping is is becoming something of the past. I mean, we, we know that from the area we live in here in Pittsburgh with all the malls, going under or really struggling and that goes yeah. hand in hand with that very weird how everything's kind of moving and you know i i understand and it it kind of sucks because we've seen this with other things too in the past the jay where we lived in a world where you did things a certain way and online changed that and it got rid of the way you did it originally but it sucks because when you live through that time, there's a point in time period where you can do it both ways, the old way or online. And I hate when the re, you know one of the options goes away because it's just another option that you had right. to potentially get things at better prices and shit like that. And it's just I don't. It's very strange how this is all working out. I mean, it's it's gonna kill off certain retail establishments for sure. Yeah, because I I mean you know of course it might be even some semblance of a nostalgia thing for myself, but I actually like going and shopping. Cause like you said, that's yeah. kind of what we grew up doing. And I'm not saying I do it all like that, but I, I still do. And a prime example was not too long ago, a couple months ago, um, I had some gift cards for, for dicks and like brought that up to my wife and she's like, Oh, I actually have some, some gifts cards, uh, that I, that I could use. So we took the kids on a Saturday. It was like a nice Saturday. And we went up to South Hills mall that's near us and, and had a fun day shopping, you know, getting the kids a couple things like some books and, and clothes and, 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 and you know, buying some stuff for yourself, like through dicks for me and my wife spending her, her uh, you know, with the cards and you're not going to have that anymore. And it's just really weird. And, and that goes yeah. hand in hand with this, this, this Ralph Lauren deal as well. Like when, when does that happen too? where stuff like polo is just going to be online? I, I know that's where you get most of your stuff now through polo anyway, as we speak yep. as well, Hayad, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a big way that I get a lot of it. I mean, because it's just easier than dealing with places that you know aren't going to have things. And, you know, I mean, I generally don't wear typical polo shit either. So, like, just, like, small pony fucking polo shirts, you can get those anywhere. It's like, you put it this way. If I'm ordering, like, if I need clothes or something like that, it's easier for me to order them. If I just need socks and shit like that, I can get that anywhere. That's not a problem. So, you know, there, it's just weird like that with a lot of things, like put it this, here's a good question for you, the Jay, just talking about like shopping in general and shit like that. If there's a new video game coming out, what's your preferred method of getting it? How do you generally get it? Do you generally get it the same way all the time? 
Yeah, I still brick, brick and mortar through GameStop, and I know how most people feel about GameStop. And of course, they made the news with the the stock situation uh, that was like a fun, entertaining news story uh, a handful of months back or last year. But I have my own little system with that, you know, specifically with video games, because you can sell them back to GameStop, and you do get hit over the head for the the sell back. I get that, but once I beat a game or, or play through till I'm comfortable to turn it in then it's just going to sit and collect dust anyway. So if I can get $20 for it, that's a third of your typical $60 game. So yeah. so typically I usually time it so that I'm, I'm ready to take back and sell to GameStop a couple of games. So I at least get 30 or 40 bucks for, okay. for a brand new $60 game. So that's kind of my new system. Like I, I actually just um, was got uh, Forbidden, I always forget the name of it, uh, Forbidden Dawn, the like futuristic dystopian game. I don't know if you've played that. It's a PlayStation exclusive. It's awesome. This awesome no, open world game. But anyway, um, I digress. But to get that, I, I traded in like two or three games and ended up getting that for like 10 bucks or something. So that's kind of my system there, as opposed to, I know a lot of the younger generation, I'm sure we could ask Cam about that because uh, he's a younger gamer, uh, do it digitally, of course, and have all the digital games because I know my nephews do that. Okay, well, let, let's think about it here then. Just typically speaking, do you, are there any particular stores that you go to at this point? Like, you don't even have to name them. It's just like, other than grocery stores or like necessities, right? So you're talking either stuff for hobbies, stuff like you you mentioned I, Dick's. Like yep, Dick's, I was going to say. For people, for people who don't know, Dick's is like a sporting goods store. It's it, They have, you know, everything from like rowboats to golf clubs to Nike and North Face and any kind of like clothing brand like that, shoes, shit like that. It's it's what you would expect out of a sporting goods store currently, current day. But I mean, like, you know, like even in the, like a long, long time ago, the J, uh, a, a shopping trip that was very common for both of us was going to Incredibly Strange Video. It was a good place to buy movies, yeah, even though that's barely a thing anymore. That's for me, for sure, has gone pretty much all online. Um, yeah, because that was me for but, Best Buy. Remember, I would go to Best Buy yeah, like every week, yep. new releases. Yep. Or there was, you know, like a, another cool store, but it's it's difficult for me to get there because it's so out of the way. Uh, would be Ides downtown. Yeah, Pittsburgh. The comic. It's it, a comic it, book store. It, it, comic records, movies, all kinds of shit like that. Uh, definitely recommend if you ever visit Pittsburgh, uh, go to Ides downtown. It's definitely worth a trip if you're looking for that kind of stuff. Uh, but another thing too, years ago for me, that was a regular thing was, uh, going to record stores. Uh, I've considerably cut back on purchasing records at this point because I have plenty. Um, and I started to see how kind of like the record thing was changing a little bit, you know, but nonetheless, that's something that I've kind of cut out doing, you know, on a regular basis, even going to like buy shoes and shit used to be something that you could do. But again, with Nike and other companies like this, it's not really as possible anymore. So shopping for something to do or for your hobbies or what have you has really drastically cut down for, yeah, if you think about it. Oh, it's changed. Yeah, it's, it's such a great point because I was thinking about myself. And, and like you said, putting, you know, the obvious trips to the grocery store and food shopping aside and say like dining slash entertainment to the side, yes. you know, like trips to the movie theater and, and restaurants. Yes. I yes. pretty much just have like three in my wheelhouse that I still go to. And that would be like you mentioned, Dick's the sporting goods store. 
Yep. Uh, Barnes and Nobles because uh, I have that's plenty true. of books, but that's, I love magazines. That's a, dude, that's a real Barnes and Noble is a place that I, you know, I find myself going there whenever it's the 50% off Criterion sale just to see what they have occasionally for magazines and books and things like that that I want to buy. Uh, I'll go there and get that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that that's one example for me that is, I guess, one of the few holdouts that I will go to to see what they have. Yeah, and the last one would be like like I was talking about my quote unquote gaming system. You know, buying new games and turning in games towards those through GameStop is the only reason I still go to GameStop is because I can at least turn in games. You know, so do you ever buy games anywhere else? Like no, maybe on sale or something? Like you'll catch something once once in a or... blue moon, dependent on the game. But like I pretty much have like right now I have probably about eight or nine PlayStation Five games alone. So okay. like, it's like, like I was saying, I, you know, I'll beat two of those. And when a new game comes out, I, I'm usually able to time it to at least, you know, at least gives me like half off or more of the new game, you know? Okay. So that, that just became my system and it's worked Dude, for, for me for all these years, you know? Isn't it weird that like the, you know, like if, if, cause dude, we've been friends a long time. So like, this is a good example of this. Like it would be very typical to you know on a fucking wednesday or something be like hey dude what are you doing uh like friday afternoon like i don't know why like because i gotta go to the mall like i gotta get some shoes i needed to fucking get some socks i needed to you know i wanted to grab the new madden and i need a fucking baseball hat or whatever the fucking things may be that you want but like that would be shit you would just do with your friends like if you're not doing it and you're like oh shit you know what yeah i actually gotta take something back to da 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 so like yeah, I'm down to do that. What time are you thinking? And like that's what we do. Maybe go grab some lunch, fucking bullshit around, hang out, like whatever. But like that's been basically replaced with tomorrow. I'm watching fucking dynamite after I ate dinner, and I'm just sitting in my house like <laughs> looking at shit I want to buy on whatever. Yeah, and, and that's the thing too with the advent of Amazon as well, because like. You, may, you yes, may be thinking absolutely. about that, talking about socks. Like I, I got socks on there not too long ago, you know, because it's yep. it, that's what kills us too as human beings. And and you know me, I'm the opposite of a lazy person, but it just is that just that instant convenience and just the convenience factor yeah. of like you know Amazon's so quick now. You get you order it, and you get it the next day, maybe two days, you know, without yep. paying extra. It's it's pretty wild, but but yeah, I mean it's 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 all a cool discussion because of of where we're at. And, you know, our age, as we always say, just just to the point of like where we came from and how much we can say from our lives that, that things have changed to, to all this. Yeah. And, and it goes back to this Ralph Lauren deal, which uh, just to wrap that up, hey, since that's what kind of started this whole cool side tangent. Uh, but they do say in the Forbes article, if nothing is announced in 60 to 90 days from about now, um, it means that Ralph Lauren either didn't get the price they hoped for or they'd rather run it on their own for the foreseeable future. So time will yep. tell with that. So we're looking at a 60, 90 day window for this deal to possibly go through between LVMT or I'm sorry, LVMH and uh, Ralph Lauren. Yep. And I expect even if it does or doesn't go through that, we're going to see more things just like this. So, of course, we will keep you guys posted on all the things that we actually like that pertain to this type of thing. So uh, let's get it moving on into the world of movies here. A couple notes here before we take our first commercial break. This is kind of out of nowhere, I guess. I mean, I understand they've probably been trying to get this off the ground probably since 1988 or so. Uh, but it seems that according to Screen Rant uh, article here, uh, Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder are reportedly 
to reprise their roles as Beetlejuice and Lydia Dietz in their upcoming Beetlejuice 2. Of course, both starred in the original in 1988. Uh, in Tim Burton's comedy Beetlejuice, the much-anticipated Beetlejuice sequel has been in a development struggle for more than 30 years, originally under the title Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, when Jonathan Gems uh, was brought in to write the script in 1990. Um so that's kind of like out of nowhere news. Um, but while it hasn't been brought to Warner Brothers for an official green light just yet, Beetlejuice 2 is being produced by Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B Entertainment. Reportedly, filming of the project could begin as early as this coming summer, with obviously Keaton and Ryder reprising their roles from the original. So, uh, you know, I'm not a huge Beetlejuice fan. It's okay. You know, I dig some of it, but kind of weird to see this type of a sequel at this point for me anyway and this is definitely like our era shit um i don't know i kind of feel like if there was really something good here they would have probably already made it exactly i mean it, just off the bat you know you can't really judge such a i'll use the word again embryonic staged kind of thing but just that title alone, the, the working developmental title from from back, you know, dating to 1997, it said that the sequel was getting kind of close and it fell through. This Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. Like, well, and, who the hell knows and, what that was about? Now, I saw Beetlejuice in the theater, okay, when it came out. And I just don't remember this at the time. Um, if it was a surprise hit, if this is something they expected to be a hit, I kind of lean more on the surprise. I think it was a surprise because it was right before Batman 89. Okay. So to me anyway, that was a surprise, something they weren't expecting to be a hit. And it was now this is them trying to capitalize on that 30 years later. And it's just, this is like the antithesis of a project like this that fails. It just is. Yeah, well, the guy within this article, uh, Graham Smith, he noted that, and this was a great quote that kind of sums it all up. So I'll throw it at you, hey, Ed. Uh, but he was saying regarding the Beetlejuice 2 project and the reason it's been shelved so many times and like keeps kind of getting brought back up and then falling into oblivion is that the reason that it's so hard to get going is because so many people love it and because there are 10 million ways to get that sequel wrong and four ways to get it right, which That's is a true. great way to break it down. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I completely. And they agree would definitely, a hundred percent, in my opinion, need Michael Keaton to reprise the role to have any chance. Yes, it doesn't work at all without him. And I think you're also going to need Ryder back too. And I, I don't. Guess, I guess no, uh, Alec Baldwin. No, probably not. not. To get into probably that. not. A, probably not a lot of people to begin with from it. And that's just. I, I don't know. Like, and it's like, is Tim Burton involved? Because if he's not, then okay, that's that's really a big not call a too. Good sign. So, you know, it just is what it is. But here's something else that kind of caught me off guard. I saw this article from IGN.com. Indiana Jones 5 wraps filming nearly 14 years after Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls premiere, um, which is something I didn't even realize they were doing. I don't know if you were... If Did you know this was happening? Yeah, th this has been another one that's gone like back and forth for forever and there was like steven spielberg was attached to direct 
because he wanted okay. to kind of conclude uh, Indy's journey. And then he had all kinds of disputes over the script. So they ended up hiring um, James Mangold, who was the director of Logan, which is awesome. I love that movie. And Ford versus Ferrari, which is pretty good. So it's in good hands directing wise. Like things like this, man, it, it's really going to come down to the story because that's what really hurt Kingdom of a Crystal Skull, of course, was just the story just got completely out of hand, leading to the whole, uh, as everybody negatively talks about it, the the alien plot towards the yep. end if you even remember it hey ed so slightly yeah i mean it's gonna be uh you know all on on the story but it's it's definitely uh you know this isn't like the beetlejuice thing we just talked about this one is is wrapped so it, it yeah, is coming it, out uh it was first announced in 2016 with a premiere date of july 19th 2019 but it has suffered many delays and is now set to arrive in theaters on june 30th 2023 and it's also set and we've heard this before, so I don't know, uh, that it's going to conclude this iconic character's journey. And I would assume so, because you're only going to be able to make so many of these uh, with uh, Harrison Ford. Um, I don't know. Like you said, it is in good hands, but I'm very wary of it anyways, because I just don't think it needs to be made anymore. Yeah, that's uh, as like, far as that goes. It's, it's like a little, you know stream here going from from beetlejuice too it's like why you know and we could get into that with with hollywood that's a diatribe for another day how how they just reboot remake you know it's it's the whole big business side of everything and them being scared of original stuff to to green light for big bucks you know they that's they, they go to these these known franchises but steven spielberg went on to confirm that even though harrison ford most likely won't play indy again like you were alluding to hey ed uh he's in his 70s i believe um yeah the franchise will certainly continue after that so there will be yeah. iterations and i don't have any interest in any of that so like i don't need I'm, I'm one of them people that like not everything to me needs to be expanded into a full-out universe you know what i mean like i understand some of it but like some of this stuff it's like look, they're just beating the dead horse man they're gonna put this into the ground with how much they're gonna try and capitalize up the nostalgia and of course the fans of the series and stuff too i'm not trying to to put that down but it just feels like a cash grab to me oh, and, or a way 100%. To like reboot something else exactly and, and you and i grew up as, as horror fans and look at all the main horror franchises and how many <laughs> varying sequels prequels reboots remakes go in with that uh, it all goes yep. into the category as you're talking about kind of a money grab uh, again just hoping for the, the the one that will bring people in and get people talking uh, word of mouth to to make the the money but as we always say they wouldn't keep making them if they didn't make make the money so uh indiana That's jones true. and the kingdom of crystal skull i guess did good enough to keep the franchise alive have harrison ford still interested in in, in a, able to do it although i know that was another thing that delayed things hey ed uh, just talking out loud from what i remember harrison ford actually got hurt um on on set doing this so that, well, that, that set it back for a bit because of his age i mean how you know he's do, it's basically an action film action adventure you know yeah and it's like dude you're starting to see that with a lot of people too like liam neeson's like a big <laughs> action guy and he's yeah. like in his late 70s like this is getting a bit ridiculous at this point with some of this stuff uh but they just clearly don't have younger people to be in those movies yeah, i don't know yeah, like don't know. you know it just is what it is so uh, but we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to do like a redo here 
the AEW Revolution 22 pay-per-view preview. Uh, we're going to talk about some matches that we didn't talk about last week because they weren't announced. So hang tight, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. What up, what up, what up, everybody? It's your boy, The J, from the What's Real Podcast. Would you like to advertise on the What's Real Podcast? Hit us up today. We got easy, quick, cheap, and affordable rates, and we have some fun and can do some great ads for you and your bare ass. Hit us up today at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com to advertise on the show of shows today, the Pod Upon Pods. Join us next week for episode 109 of the What's Real Podcast. We'll be taking a look at all three episodes from Netflix original documentary, Kanye West, It's Genius. We're going to have a full review of the AEW Revolution 22 pay-per-view. And on Thursday Night Prime, from 1992, starring Cynthia Rothrock, Rage and Honor. Ha! This is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast, representing for Goose or Goose on the 109th episode of the show, where the guys talk about guys on silts falling, traffic cops doing German suplexes, and Matthew McConaughey's hairline. All that and much more on episode 109 of the What's Real Podcast. Have you ever wanted something more than life itself? Sitting in the dark by yourself, no one asking if you'd like some help. Swimming in the motion like you might go Phelps. Waiting for a sign to finally apply yourself and make the necessary adjustment from secondary to judgment. And we're back. And as I mentioned before we went to break, it is time to get into the AEW Revolution 22 pay-per-view, uh, which we did speak about here last week. Uh, of course, it is March 6, 22 from Orlando, Florida at Edition Financial Arena. Uh, and on last week's show, uh, we mentioned the Jade Carhill uh, Ty Conti match for the AEW TBS Championship. Uh, we mentioned uh, so far. Okay, let's we can get into this real quick. The Jay uh, Jurassic Express defending the AEW World Tag Team Championship. We had two be determined teams. Uh, it was a three way match. Uh, now we have one of them and that is Red Dragon, the team of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. And, of course, the other team will be determined on a Casino Battle Royal this week on Dynamite. Uh, what do you think about this one, the Jay? We kind of said where we were going to go with it last week. We were a little bit off. Uh, I think they're trying to change it up. They're making it look like it's going to be the Young Bucks. Uh, I know there is possibilities as well of the Hardy Boys uh, showing up on that one, but there's something else on this card that was announced that is kind of deterring away from that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it looks like we're going to be in for a good one here, regardless of who wins that matchup this week on Dynamite the J. Yeah, and I, I got to mention at the outset how last week, because of course, yeah, it changed and we, we both spaced. And, and that was funny too, because you're like, man, I'm sorry, the J. I don't know how I missed it. I'm like, dude, you and me both, brother, we're, we're both uh, to blame. Like neither of us caught the date. It, it was just funny, but we were like praising AEW for only having five matches. Because we're like, damn, and man, they, they're going to give everything they time. <laughs> they almost doubled it. So just wanted to mention that just stemming from from last week's uh, pre preemptive uh, too early review. But uh, but yeah, the or I'm sorry, preview. But this does look like a good, really good match. I don't think this is the spot for the Hardys. Hey, Ed, I don't. Um, I, I'm thinking no, too. I right. Agree. It's it just it wouldn't fit for that big of a deal for them to just. Uh, and, and plus, like you mentioned, they they would have to win this. Uh, 
Casino Battle Royal, which I don't see them being like surprise entrance, which that that would have to be the route they take is like, oh, the Hardys are in this and then they end up winning well, it. I don't see them bringing them in like that. So do you think that the storyline that they're going with here, they're just leading directly to it, that it's going to be the Young Bucks? Yes. That, okay. That's my take on it. I think because they're not on the card and I don't see them missing out on a pay-per-view in, in AEW when they're healthy. Okay. So now if that is the case, so let's just talk here and, and you know, speculate one of our favorite things to do here on the exactly. show. Uh, say it is the, the Bucks. How, how do you see this one unfolding? If the Bucks are in this one, do you see them walking away with the tag belts? Do you see Red Dragon getting them? Or do you see uh, Jurassic Express keeping them because maybe of the developing storyline here of Red Dragon versus the Bucks and, you know, Adam Cole kind of being in the middle of all that. That's what I'm thinking. Just knowing the storyline and, and that being where it's at, I don't foresee Red Dragon getting the straps on them due to that. And Jurassic, uh, yeah. you know, Jurassic Express, I don't think there's anywhere else for else, anywhere else for them to go right now. And they've had a good little run. They've had the a good run, and I see Jungle Boy eventually getting the big singles push when he's ready. I just don't think it's time yet. Again, we mentioned it all the time with AEW. They can kind of slow burn things. They don't have as much content, TV time, yep. etc. That you know, in comparison to, of course, the big corporate machine of WWE and all that. So I, I foresee them going over and keeping the belts, Jurassic Express. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. I think it is the easiest way to do it. Uh, and I don't see any reason. Like, I don't think the Bucks need the tag belts back again. And I think that you know, kind of the way that I was talking last week about Adam Cole in the main event and how I see him eventually being champion, but I don't think it's the right time for him. I think the same thing could be said for Red Dragon. I think they'll definitely eventually get those tag titles, but I don't think it's the right time for them right now either. It probably pays off better. To, to just kind of have Jurassic Express retain and kind of, you know, you know, it, it, it just, it sticks better to me and it's, it's more of an impactful thing whenever, like, for example, if Jurassic Express wins this match and then down the line, they would lose the belts to the Bucks or Red Dragon. That just sticks better because it was a, a tag title matchup, two teams, you know, like the one-on-one -on -one type thing, but with teams. And that's how you change the titles because you really put the other team over. Right. And and I, I got to say, too, I am a complete idiot. And it's something that you actually mentioned uh, we're getting into. But when I was breaking down the uh, to be determined team and talking about the Hardys, Matt Hardy obviously is involved in another match on here. So I don't, I don't think it's time for the Hardys to come back in AEW whatsoever. It, so Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't think of that. I just had to call my stupid self out like we do on the show when we recognize well, that. But that, okay, that's a perfect segue here. So what what the Jay was talking about is he was announced for a six man tornado tag team matchup or a tornado trios matchup, and it is the HFO uh, team of Andrade El Idolo, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah Cassidy uh, with Mark Quinn because he's hurt. By the way, that is the tag team uh, private party, and uh, they're going to be taking on the team of Darby Allen, Sting, and Sammy Guevara. It uh, should be a lot of fun, I would assume. Uh, you know, I don't know quite where they're going with this. I'm thinking that either Andrade gets the pin here or they're just going to lose, which is most likely what's going to happen. Uh, because obviously, you know, Darby is one of the pillars. They like to protect Sting. They make him pretty strong. And Sammy has been killing it lately, and he's currently the TNT champion. So I think it's obviously, you know, obvious booking here tells me that they win Darby, Sammy, and Sting because... You know, they're a pretty big team here, and there's really no reason for 
the HFO to win because they're just kind of a makeshift thing to begin with. Exactly. I concur with that breakdown. Hey, you know, and I think this is going to be a really entertaining match. This could be, you know, potential to be a bit of a show stealer that you kind of might be sleeping on with some much bigger matchups on the card. The tornado tag aspect is, is different. I think that's the first time they're doing a trios match under tornado tag rules. And for those listening, that might not know a tornado tag is every, a competitor doesn't have to tag in or out. They're all just in the match at the same time. So that can set up a lot of different spots that you normally wouldn't see with six guys, you know, all being involved throughout the match, uh, especially with somebody like Sammy in there, Darby. So there could be some really, really cool stuff. Uh, this, this should be very entertaining. And as I always point out and say, Hey Ed, this, this card is really uh, the variety that I love. And in this, yep. in this match, you know, adds to that uh, very much with it being a very unique trios tornado tag match absolutely so that's a good call there uh one of the other matches that uh, we talked about last week that's getting filled in a little bit more is the face the revolution ladder match for a future aew tnt championship match uh last week we mentioned that keith lee wardlow and powerhouse hobbs were all in this match since then we've seen absolute ricky starks get added to it and orange cassidy uh, and there is still one more determined, uh, there one more spot to be determined uh, that's going to take place on Dynamite. Off the top of my head, I don't remember the match, but I do know that it's going to be on there. Yeah, it's to be determined. But yeah, we, we were mentioning last week with only knowing the first three, how unique it was for a ladder match that it was three huge heavyweights at that time, the first three guys being Keith Lee, Wardlow, and Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, you know threading out a little bit here. Absolute Ricky Starks, he'll, he'll be solid in this. And of course, Orange Cassidy. So, you know, you got the smaller, more athletic guys with the three uh, initially announced kind of you know, huge heavyweight powerhouses. But yeah, I mean, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I, I always uh, like ladder matches. Most ladder matches typically don't disappoint. Yeah, agreed. And I think that, uh, you know, with the mixture of talent and stuff that they have in this match, that it's definitely going to be a lot of fun for sure. So uh, one of the new matches that they've announced since uh, that we recorded last, and it's a matchup that, uh, you know, kind of not surprised me, but they, they were kind of, planting the seeds for it now they were doing it full out with a promo uh that might surprise a lot of people in a lot of ways but i'm talking about chris jericho taking on eddie kingston and uh, chris jericho is definitely known pretty widely for being solid on the microphone but dude i thought eddie kingston made him look like an idiot last week it's <laughs> one of my favorite things is uh jericho is trying to give him some praise and he's like i knew the people would love you you were going to show up here in AEW and be a baby face and he's like what's a baby face like yeah, I mean, he really, and Eddie, without a doubt, like a lot of people might not realize this if you're not familiar with Eddie Kingston, especially outside of AEW. Uh, Eddie can hold his own on a microphone with just about anybody in pro wrestling. So that was neat to see. This is a match now that I'm definitely looking forward to. And dude, I think that they're probably going to do it this way, but like, I hope Eddie wins this. Eddie needs a win and a win over Jericho would be great for him. I agree. I would love to see that. I don't foresee it, though. I will say that. I think Jericho okay, goes you, over. Okay. See, I, I'm kind of holding out on this one because I know that they typically do this with Jericho where he will put people over. And I think that Eddie kind of needs it at this point. Eddie's definitely big time over in the company. Doesn't hurt Jericho to do it. So I'm thinking that they're doing this solely to put Eddie over. And I and I hope so. And I'm kind of sticking with that. So I will say I hope you're I hope you're wrong, the Jay. Well, I will say that you know, Chris Jericho is gonna have Jake Hager at his side and Eddie's gonna have Santino or and Ortiz. 
So that always can, you know, throw things off and, you know, something can happen and Jericho, you know, takes something and Eddie just gets the cover. So that, you know, it's definitely a possibility, man. And I think it would be really cool. I'm not saying that. I just, you know, my gut is saying that, that Jericho still ends up going over here. But yeah, we shall see. Because I, I just wanted to point out too, a big thing everybody was talking about uh, on the internet as well, uh, to your point with Eddie Kingston's promo against Jericho was when he's like, I want the Jericho that your boy Levesque hated. And that, yes. that, that was awesome. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Eddie's great at stuff like that too. Yeah, so, he throws it in there. Uh, he, uh, dude, it's funny because Eddie is such an old school kind of wrestler to me because they can introduce something on TV, right? Like it'll be like you'll watch Dynamite one week and it's like Eddie has a problem with someone. And just hearing that, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, like it's just another match or something. And then they dedicate a promo segment to it. And it's like, and in one promo segment, I'm like, Eddie makes me want to see that match now. Now I'm looking forward to that. So it, he can speak you into wanting to see him have a match. And that's what I like about Eddie. So uh, kudos to him. Like I said, again, I hope he gets the win. It'll definitely be good for him. I'd like to see Eddie get a little bit of a push here in AEW. But he, he is on TV all the time. So I appreciate that in the very least. In uh, another match, dude, that kind of encompasses, for me anyway, the JY really, really like AEW, is a match that just got announced too, and it is Brian Danielson versus John Moxley. And I'm not over the moon about that match. I mean, I do think it'll be very good because both of these dudes are pretty good. Um, but it's the reason why they're having this match. Now, a couple weeks ago on TV, uh, Brian Danielson cut a promo where he essentially said, you know, Ever since coming here to AEW, I could have challenged John Moxley, but I don't want to do that. I kind of want to team up with Moxley. And he called Moxley out. Moxley didn't really give him an answer. He said he would answer him another time, which he did. And he said that he won't team up with people that he does, he hasn't spilled blood with, essentially saying he won't team with somebody that he hasn't feuded with or fought. And their idea here is to have these two fight. And I mean, that's not that's a fairly normal idea. But I think in a lot of other companies, we would have just already seen this as a throwaway kind of matchup that gets them into a feud or something else. But I don't think that's where they're going with this. I think these two are going to go out there and beat the shit out of each other. I think it's going to be a really good matchup, but it's kind of done as a respect thing. After the matchup, we might see these two team up together and maybe build up the uh, quote-unquote Danielson Dojo uh, that's kind of made its way to being a hashtag on Twitter. Um, but I, I like the, the premise that they're going with where two guys may team up together after having a match, kind of like they have to prove their toughness to each other. I just think it's a cool concept to have a match. Dude, you, you just nailed one of my favorite things about AEW. And as we say ad nauseum, the whole thing about AEW being the true alternative for professional wrestling fans on, on a high level to WWE. And that's the fact that they do things in their own unique way. They're not, you know, and again, we, we say not to like sit there and criticize whatever it's, it's a company. And I'm talking about their formative years anyway, with impact where we would always talk about how TNA slash impact would always try mimicking you know, the, the WWE when and it be yep. became, you know, that classic, you know, talk about a hashtag or an air quote, WWE light and AEW yes. is not doing that. Even, even with signing some of the guys from uh, WWE that get released or a lot of them, I should say, they, mm -hmm. they're not bringing them in and, and doing like the same stuff that WWE did with them. Obviously it's, it's, it's 
presented in a completely different way. And 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 again, because you pretty much nailed everything I would cover in the preamble for this matchup. Uh, but I really do like that storyline, dude. It, it just makes makes it stand out so much more than just like them feuding. I mean, look at, look at even how, uh, not to diatribe, but I, I actually watched raw for the first time in forever, uh, from last night. And I watched a little bit of it. They, they did the whole, they were building it up from the prior, uh, raw the week before with edge, um, you know, challenging somebody for, for mania. And it ended up being yep. AJ, which, yep. you know, it was okay how they did it. But my point is in comparison to this, Instead of just kind of yes. doing that, like let's throw it together. We'll, we'll kind of build it up a little bit with with the first week. Nobody answers him, and then the next week he's like saying how the locker room's a bunch of pussies now, and, and AJ just comes out. Now they're having a match at Mania, which which is going to be yep. great. Don't get me wrong, but again, just in it's comparison just the, for the storyline, the path isn't as enjoyable, right? And I just like what they did here. And again, it's just again, it's not shitting on WWE. It's just pointing out one of the complaints I have about WWE's creative in this comparison to AEW where they at least have a, a cool reason that everything comes together. Yes, exactly. Like everybody seems to get their own little piece to be able to do something. And that that's kind of what I like. Uh, obviously last week we talked in great detail about Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. And of course, hangman and Adam Cole, uh, respectively for the AEW women's world championship and the AEW world championship. But I wanted to devote a little bit more time to something else here. And, of course, we talked about CM Punk and MJF having a dog collar match last week here on the show. But that is before we saw a major, major development last week on Dynamite uh, on the show. And typically, this would be just something we might mention or whatever. But, like, dude, I'd be remiss if we didn't stop and talk about this for a second. And what I'm talking about is a promo that MJF did on Dynamite last week, which, man, it was one of the most nuanced promos I've seen ever. It's one of the best promos I've ever seen. Uh, I've seen MJF literally throw a live audience maybe harder than I've seen anyone do that in in memory. Literally a long time. At point in time. Yeah, like since I was a kid, maybe. Like, I mean, there are a few things I would have to really go back and analyze it. Yeah, like Piper, yeah, Piper for, level shit in his prime. Yes, for a long time, basically. Um, dude, I like MJF. I, I there was a lot of points where like I thought he was good, but you know, that's about as good as I would get him. Like, he's really good for being young. He's gonna be something really special, definitely. I've seen something in him. But, like, we're already seeing that shit from him. This dude is on another level. That promo was fucking mind-blowing. Um, the way that they're unveiling this storyline is so fucking good. And it's something that I haven't enjoyed in pro wrestling, dude, since I'm talking... Now, I mean, there might have been a couple instances here and there, but I'm talking, like, since, like, Brett Michaels in the 90s. Like, just layered nuanced stuff that that time it was layered and nuanced because there was a lot of shoot stuff involved. This is just very well crafted shit by two dudes that could fucking go on a mic. Unlike a lot of other, I mean, they're upper echelon dudes on a microphone and we've seen some fucking fantastic promos by punk and MJF up to this point. But this one really takes the cake is like seeing something that, when you're watching it for the first time and you're in the middle of it, you're like, dude, this is like generational shit. Like when The Rock first came out 
it was cutting his promos like where you can really see his star power taken off like there's a handful of times in the history of watching pro wrestling since we've been watching it where we've seen stuff like this happen and i would literally put this up there on that level dude i'm right with you absolutely amazing and you shouted out a portion of my big point with this when you brought up the fact that Bret Hart and Michaels going back to that had a lot of the shoot stuff involved and I love in the CM Punk MJF feud how they're intertwining the reality of it in a, yes. in a non-shoot way it's it's part of the storyline of course but using his uh picture of course as a fan with CM Punk involved in it Dude. and then all this stuff with his you know the football and playing football and everything and, and giving it up to become a professional wrestler it's just interwoven into the storyline and it's just making the story that much better and, and just more real you just again it's all about that believability and even as old school fans like us you just want to care and we're completely invested yeah. in this dude they and when i say that his promo was layered in nuance there was things that he said in that promo that maybe to the untrained eye or people that just aren't focused hard enough think that he's coming off like a baby face and that's not the case at all when you really look at how layered that it is He's this angle has to do with toxic fan culture stuff because he was basically saying that when CM Punk quit wrestling, he was such a big fan that it fucked up his life. And he's putting shit like that back on CM. Like, that's why he's playing mind games now. with him. Yeah. And he's doing that too. But it's like, it's layered to the point where it's really good heel work. Um, it's, he's in Punk's head in the, the, you know, in the realm of the storyline. It's really good stuff, man. Like, it's just like whenever you see an actor pulling off an amazing role or a performance, like you're seeing this stuff unfold week by week by week. And like, dude, they're having this dog collar match. And I'm telling you right now, it's not done after this either. I don't believe I really don't. I think there's more to tell from this story. And they're going to keep going with this. And this is going to be like really some of the most top-notch stuff maybe that you're going to see in the entire industry in the year 2022. I agree, man. I'm, I'm highly looking forward to this match. It's probably my most anticipated match on Definitely. this loaded in a loaded card for sure. But, Absolutely. But like you said, they, you know, talking about Eddie Kingston and talking, talking to you and the wanting to watch his matches. I mean, this, this storyline and build up has me so, so much into this. Like you mentioned, man, you have to point it out and so much pumped up for, for a match like this in, in a long time from, from just the mic work and storyline. It, it just hasn't happened in so long, especially adding in the whole pandemic year and stuff. Like it's been a while since we've had something like this as pro wrestling fans. So I'm just going to enjoy it. All right, so let's quickly, before we go to our next commercial break here, the J, uh, go through this match for match here uh, real quick, because we did a lot of these already. And obviously, you know, there, we saw another week of TV, so it, it could potentially change our minds here. So these are the official ones. But the AEW TBS Championship, we got Jade Cargill uh, defending against Ty Conti, the J. I'm going to go with Jade continues to roll on with her TBS Championship. Yeah, I'm definitely kind of back and forth on Jade because she is green. It's it's how she is, but man, does she it's have like a presentation? A, yeah, it she is. has an aura. She's she's looks great. Like as far as being a women's wrestling champion, uh, you like know, a star. Yeah, the mic stuff's coming out, and it's pretty funny. Her manager, smart 
Mark Sterling, <laughs> and he mm-hmm. he adds to it the smarmy freaking manager with her character. They, they they're a cool package, and you're exactly right, man. It's all like the kind of star power and and just the the phenomenon that she's kind of becoming. And and yeah, I see her rolling over Ty Conti. I mean, it's one of those situations. Hey Ed, again, just going back to the the more availability to do a slow burn kind of thing with AEW talent. As long as she's healthy, I I think he should ride ride this for a while. And I think they're going to because they're kind of starting to show the fact that she's still undefeated. Exactly. You know, like they're they're working that into everything. Like I'm talking too, the so female that, Goldberg streak type shit. That and that's I think that's exactly what they're trying to do with right. her. That's one hundred percent. And they're in the process letting her work with better competitors too. So you know, I think essentially that that works as well. Uh, we both already mentioned that we think Darby, Sammy, and Sting win the six man tornado tag. Uh, we both talked about the tag team title matchup. Uh, what do you think about Brian Danielson Moxley, dude? I think that there is potential here that we see some sort of a draw or something like that. Um, I think it could go either way here because I don't think that this match is so much about the ending as it is about the match itself for the storyline that they're doing. Um, I, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to say that Moxley ends up winning this match. Okay, we're split. I was going to go with Danielson. So, yeah, we'll have All to right. see. Uh, the J also went with Jericho. I went with Eddie Kingston in their matchup. Uh, what do you think the best choice is? Now, now I, I asked you this question last week, the J. Uh, so I'll ask you again, even though it's a little bit more spelled out. Uh, do you see the winner of the Face of the Revolution ladder match in this match already, or are you going to go with to be determined? I'm just going to stick with what, what I said last week, and we only had three of the competitors, as I mentioned, and I picked Wardlow, and I, I think it's time for his push. It's just for a future AEW TNT championship. It's it's not even like you know set at a, at a particular show or dynamite taping or anything. It's just a future championship shot. So all that considered, I think Wardlow fits in there. Keith Lee would be the other one that I'm kind of on the fence with because of that as well. You know, it's a it's a pretty easy push to give one of these guys. But Wardlow's put his time in, and I think with his symphony of powerbomb gimmick that's getting over and things like that, that that he's ready for a TNT championship run, or at least a match. I don't, I don't know if you saw this or not, but this past week they did a little bit of a backstage segment between Keith Lee and Ricky Starks when he was with Hobbs. And I, this is just my thought of this. I, I kind of was with you with Wardlow, but I was also thinking it's very possible that Keith Lee wins this. Uh, I've changed up uh, since the week. I, I agree with you. I think Wardlow wins this one because they're kind of shadowing the fact that Keith Lee is going to is probably his first feud is going to be having an issue with Team Taz. And uh, that's going to mean that he's going to have matches with Hobbs and Starks. It's going to keep him busy for a little while, too. But I also think, too, don't sleep on Orange Cassidy, man, because they book him like a strong motherfucker. It's a good call. And it's very possible they could do something like that with him. But I just think that it's easy in this match to do it with Wardlow. And, and, you know, it doesn't really weigh too much on Cassidy to lose a, a ladder match. He's not getting pinned or anything. Yeah, this definitely can go any number of ways. I'm just going to go with Wardlow for the pick. All right. Uh, Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa. Uh, I said that Thunder Rosa was going to win the title here. I don't remember what you said last week, the Jay, but uh, what are you thinking for this one? I believe I went with Britt. So we were split on that. I think her title reign is going to continue. And this would be a good spot here. Hey, Anto, announce on the show, your boys are returning back to AEW oh, yeah. Live. We're going to Dynamite and Rampage uh, when it comes to the Peterson Event Center here in Pittsburgh in April. So we'll keep everybody April posted 20th. on that Yeah, for our Wrestling Talk fans uh, for another live rendition of uh, 
AEW live, but uh, you know th- that just made me think of that with Britt Baker being our hometown girl. But uh, with the match in hand, hey Ed, I see her going over here and continuing her reign. And I, there's probably just for example, there's probably a lot of people that maybe are listening to the show now that weren't listening whenever we did this last year. But uh, whenever me and the Jay go to wrestling shows, uh, it's generally a lot of fucking stupidity and hilarity that that unfolds that we generally don't even see coming. And that was exactly the case. So if you go back through the archives and listen to our show talking about our experience going to AEW, uh, it was pretty fucking funny. Two nights uh, that we went, it was a Wednesday and a Friday show, and we had uh, unforeseen circumstances <laughs> both, pop up. Both nights there both, were adventures. Both nights. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, exactly. that was back in August, August of 2021, if you're interested. Uh, one of those episodes, track it down with the descriptions. But yeah, hey, Ed and I got stuck in the rain in varying <laughs> other situations. Hilarity, if you will. So definitely check those out. And uh, hopefully we have some more funny stories coming this year but not of those two varieties. Exactly. Uh, uh, also in the show, we have CM Punk versus MJF in a dog collar match to Jay. I don't remember where I went with this one last week when, whenever I predicted it, but I'll tell you right now, I think MJF is going to win this match, especially after the promo. I think that's why they're leaning towards this, where uh, MJF is in the head of CM Punk, maybe getting a little bit of empathy for the dude. Uh, and I think MJF goes balls out heel on this one. And there, there's a reason why he's been doing this stuff. And it's so that you basically connive his way into another win. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, there's part of me that would say he's already beat Punk twice officially in AEW. So it'd be crazy for him to get three. But I don't think it's something that CM Punk w- would worry about, you know, putting over MJF for a third time. Like we keep saying, due to the storyline and the chemistry there and what they can do in the future from that. So I, I, I'm with you. I go with MJF. And I just don't think it's over. I think that's, that's exactly that's what gets I mean. the win. Yeah. When the whole feud is over, that's he'll get the last one. So it is what it is. Uh, and of course, the main event, the AEW World Championship matchup between Hangman Adam Page and uh, defending against Adam Cole. Nothing's changed there for me. I think Page retains. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that it's kind of too early on, especially the way that AEW seems to do their booking. Uh, again, got to say it with like the kind of slow burn and just, you know, more time. It could have longer reigns and, and different things. Although it's not going to be, you know, just speaking out loud about all that uh, kind of does that a bit more nowadays too. They have like kind of longer running champions than, than some of those past years with the hot shotting and things like that. Yep. But nonetheless, I don't think it's Adam Cole's time to be the AEW world champion. I see a really good match here, but Adam Page pulling it off in the end. All right, so uh, two questions that I have for you, the Jay. I think you already answered one of these. Uh, I'd like to know what your dark horse match is going to be here, and what you think your match of the night's going to be. And if I had to take a guess, I'm going to say your dark horse is probably that six man tornado that you mentioned earlier. That's what I was going to say. My my dark horse would be the trios, uh, just because you know, like the ladder match is kind of obvious. Like I mentioned, it's pretty rare that ladder matches are meh, uh, especially you know on the big stage in in one of the four pillar pay per views of AEW. Uh, I see that standing out. So that's kind of an obvious as a dark horse kind of pick. I definitely see that trios match is maybe being some semblance of a show stealer. And then I got to stick with it, man. Uh, again, kind of an obvious thing from from our breakdown, but definitely just got to go with MJF and CM Punk being my most anticipated match. Yeah, man, it's weird. I'll be honest with you. The matches that I think for potential for match of the night here, and this is pretty wild on one pay-per-view. I think the dog collar match has potential. I think the world championship match has potential. Um, I think Britain Thunderosa has potential yeah. to surprise people. The latter match has potential to be the match of the night. 
Uh, Danielson Moxley can't really go against that. And of course, the three-way tag team title matchup also is another match that has potential to be the match of the night. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to go out on a limb here, man. I, I and I'm of course the dog collar match is my most anticipated, but I think the tag team match is going to be the match of the night. Good call because that does have that potential, and we don't even know the third tag team. <laughs> so, yep, there you go. And they do, and they do very well with tag team matches too. So, and dude, just imagine, just hypothetically speaking, if they t- decide to go completely out of left field, and if. Uh, Say Ray Phoenix is is surprisingly able to go, uh, and the Lucha Brothers win the fucking thing, and then they're in, and it's like, well, not gonna argue with that at all. So oh, wouldn't at all. Is there any word but, on that? Speaking of that, by chance? Well, it, the word is that Phoenix is gonna be able to come back a lot sooner than people thought. So, like, I heard anywhere from three weeks from when uh, you know I originally read the report, which was a few weeks ago. So he might be ready to go. Beautiful, yeah, because I, I I've been missing him, man. With, them bringing some of these dudes in too. When he comes back, there's some fire and matches. I, and dude, and, and I will say this too. It is kind of cool that, you know, even if Phoenix is hurt, Pac can fill in nicely. Yeah, they've been, you know, fucking, that's been working out with the... That's a good team. I like those Death three triangle. together anyways. Death Triangle is fucking awesome. So anyway, they can kind of cut it with that. Even if they decided to have Pac team with, with Phoenix and did something different with Penta, I wouldn't be mad. I, I, I think that's suitable anyway. You cut it there with those three. Yeah, good call. But we are up against another commercial break, guys. And whenever we come back, we're going to be talking season one of HBO's Peacemaker with John fucking Cena. So uh, this is usually not in my wheelhouse. So stay tuned for this because I think it's going to be interesting. So hang on, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. What's the most action-packed segment weekly podcasting? Thursday Night Rhyme. What segment on weekly podcasting do the hosts literally put their lives on the line? Thursday Night Rhyme. Join us each week in the month of March for the most action-packed weekly segment in podcasting where Hey Ed and the J look back at all kinds of weirdo B-action movies. It is Thursday Night Prime. And we're back, and it is time to talk Peacemaker, uh, season one. Uh, Of course, this uh, debuted on HBO and HBO Max uh, fairly recently, back in January. Uh, Season one is consisting of eight episodes. Uh, For those of you who do not know, this is kind of a playoff of the Suicide Squad. Uh, John Cena uh, first played Peacemaker in that movie. It was directed by James Gunn, um, who was, of course, behind Peacemaker. And, of course, they decided, I guess because people did seem to respond. Like, if you guys listened back, we, we reviewed uh, Suicide Squad after it was released. And, we, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the movie. Um, but one of the things that me and you both definitely agreed on was John Cena was fantastic in the role of Peacemaker. And it wasn't too long thereafter where it was like, okay, there's a Peacemaker series coming to HBO. And I don't think that it was a big surprise to either one of us. And we were both kind of anticipating that anyways. 
Because how's this for weird? So the Suicide Squad is not really my thing. I've made this pretty clear on the show. I'm not a huge fan of the comic book stuff. Um, But once I heard that James Gunn was making this series based on Peacemaker, I was like, okay, I could see that potentially being good. And I wasn't watching uh, at the very beginning. I know that you were. I know a few other friends of mine and stuff were. And everybody was like, dude, you got to give this a chance. It is worth it. So I finally gave way a few weeks into this and I started watching it and I was hooked immediately. Uh, Of course, Cena is great again. They've just kind of expanded that role that he did very well in Suicide Squad. And, you know, the thing that kind of caught me, like, because I figured even if I didn't like the show, The Jay, or if, you know, it wasn't as good in my mind that it was that like everybody was telling me, I figured Cena would be good, right? But the, the thing that really hooked me early on on this show was the supporting cast. Again. Yeah, great Jeff, cast. Robert, Ro- Robert Patrick plays uh, White Knight, which was uh, his father, John Cena, a.k.a. Peacemaker's dad. Uh, and, of course, you have a bunch of other tie-ins with other characters from Suicide Squad, some new characters. Uh, of course, the Vigilante character, who is considered to be Peacemaker's best friend. Um, and people that are working for the cause, essentially, which is the entire arc of season one. Um, but they they did a very, very good job at fleshing out a cast, making them all have their own things and their own importance. And through an entire season one, um, it really doesn't feel like any of them were add-ons or people that were there for red herrings or stupid shit. They were all purposeful characters on the show, and they all really add something meaningful to it, which is extremely impressive, especially after it just being one season. Yeah, and don't forget to mention the only character that you didn't allude to, Hey Ed, and that's Peacemaker's pet, Eagle. Who is probably <laughs> my favorite character on the entire show, Eagly. Eagly. Um, but, dude, it's it's a lot of fun. Um they do, there's some really great action sequences and fight scenes and shootouts and stuff like that. So the action stuff is very well done. There's a lot of comedic elements to the story too. And all of the actors on here um, are people that I feel like you, you'll you recognize some of these people from other stuff, but they all seem to do drama and comedy very well. And the mashup of that with the type of sense of humor and sensibilities that James Gunn brings to the series too it's just a mashup that just seemingly works. It is for adults. There is a lot of profanity and funny shit like that. So it's, it, and I, I guess I kind of like that aspect to it too, because a lot of the, the Marvel and DC properties are not like that. Um, more so Marvel than DC. And this is, of course, DC. Um, but once they seemingly let go of that, uh, and I'm talking DC, um, a lot of this stuff becomes at least somewhat more palatable to me. Well, I wanted to say also off the bat, hey, Ed, I'm not sure if you specifically know how this even came about. It is 100% the creation of James Gunn due to the pandemic. So after he directed his version of the Suicide Squad, he got an idea in his head about the Peacemaker character, and then the pandemic hit. So he literally sat there during the pandemic and wrote out this entire series, this entire first season, he hit up Cena. He's like, I, I wrote this for you, you know, but you'd have to come in as Peacemaker to make this happen. Cena trusts James Gunn like crazy. He loved working on Suicide Squad with him. He's like, I'm in. 
And then you have the show that is, it was getting compared to getting ratings as far as like the streaming style ratings as like huge other humongous hits like The Witcher on Netflix and stuff. I heard it like beat out ratings wise and things like that, which is huge. So this, this already got, uh, of course, the, the thumbs up for a season two as well. And dude, th this is something that you can't make up. This is just some things happen like this, okay? But the opening theme and the opening of the show yeah, that's is essentially the entire cast doing a dance performance to Wigwam's Do You Want to Taste It? And dude, this in and of itself has become a cultural phenomenon, a viral moment, if you will, where people are doing the dance on TikTok and the song's getting popular. And that type of thing is kind of when you know something is valuable. Like it is somehow starting to enter the zeitgeist of pop culture in general. And whenever something does that, it tends to blow up. And I think that this is going to be the thing, by the way, that if it hasn't already, is going to launch John Cena kind of into superstardom area. Like not, maybe not as big, but maybe as big or close to what we see with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah, it's getting there. And, and give Batista his due, too. Some of these WWE guys. That's true. Really, yes, really taking Hollywood up a notch uh, with their predecessors like Hogan and those guys doing movies that were essentially obviously B movies or less. <laughs> some of Hogan. Yeah. So yeah, kudos, kudos to them for sure. But breaking down some of the highlights, Hey Ed, going through the season and we always say, you know, spoiler alert, we're not going to give you complete True. plot points or anything, but I kind of wanted to run through some highlights and, and you kind of already went through it. So I won't be too long winded with it, but of course got to start off with the cast because it's one of those things where I'm like, well, Freddie Stroma is Adrian Chase, who's uh, vigilante steals the show. But then you think, yeah, he does. Da Daniel Brooks is amazing, though. And then you're like, Steve yep. Agee, that's dye beard is ridiculous. You know, yep. and like you said, Robert the Patrick does his part because he's a dis despicable racist and just like one of the worst people ever. <laughs> like even even the two cops, the detective partners, uh, Lachlan yep. Monroe, that's been in a million things. And, and Annie Chang plays the other one. Uh, they're really good. It's just an amazing cast, which I had to point out. One, one of the first highlights is uh, episode two. Uh, seeing his character, Peacemaker, kind of gets stuck on a high floor of an apartment complex. Number yep. one, he meets this hilarious married couple that just bitch at each other. And that turns into a whole funny side thing. There are two great characters in this. Then he goes on to just have to get down to the ground from the upper level of this apartment complex. And you know me with stunts and like grittiness, dude. That, that scene and everybody I've asked, like shout out our buddy Chris that I've talked to about Peacemaker. All, all says the same thing and agrees with me. You like cringe with him during that scene and the pain he's yeah. in from him jumping off these balconies and just getting broke like four or five times in a row. It was great. That stood out throughout the whole season and that was pretty early on a highlight. Yeah, I mean, that there there is some really good physical comedy stuff in this too. Which I love, do. yep. Uh, yeah, dude, it's just, it's, I didn't like I knew Cena could do funny stuff because I think he's done some funny stuff. But like this one was a whole new level. Like she, Cena will play characters that have to show their ass. Like there are like this character of Peacemaker isn't your typical superhero. He's kind of a nuanced character with a lot of human problems. And they don't shy away from any of that shit with him. Um, Cena shows some range as the character because they do everything from like action sequences to him crying seriously. Like it's 
it really was impressive. I thought that he did a really good job with that. And I think that, like I was saying, like they give every character bits and pieces of, of their own arcs and storylines um, that matter. Like nobody feels like, oh, they, yeah, and then they tack the shit on with him. Like, no, everybody has their parts and are of equal part of the storyline. And I think that that's what kind of makes like the whole ensemble thing work in stereo with kind of complimenting the peacemaker character and it, it works really really well that's that's why one of my other highlights it goes hand in hand with that hey ill is of course the core groups chemistry and their banter kills me. yes and that yep, that's all james gun too his, his writing you know but their their banter and how they they go and and of course it's like the classic trope of like the misfits having to work together and then they, they have yep. all their struggles at first. And then there's, you know, I think like the third or fourth episode, Jennifer Holland's character, agent uh, Harcourt, she ends up sending this picture of this moment that they had in the van after like a successful mission. And they all kind of get it separately in like a face group, a Facebook group, you know, and they, they show them all looking at the picture and like smiling, like, Oh, like we're kind of becoming a family kind of thing. So you do have that wholesome uh, side to to all this. Like you said, it's nuanced and layered where, you know, you have all this craziness. It's that's another thing I love about it. It's very un PC as as we all know right of now course. with so many things being very PC. Um, you know, there was even a, a pretty crazy uh, Bill uh, Crosby reference and and kind of joke that had me dying. Like, you know, I can't believe he said that, you know, when he's naming all the names and everything. Uh, he's like, you know, get Bill Cosby. He's, I don't think he's doing anything uh, nowadays. He's not too busy. So, yeah, there's some great well, stuff in there. And the joke doesn't stop. It's like there's... there's Yeah, it keeps going. Pretty, there's funny jokes in here about other superheroes like Aquaman, yep. Superman, and Wonder Woman that are hilarious. They're not child-friendly at all. Um, but I think that that's kind of like, you know, I think whenever you make like a massively budgeted film right you it, it's so expensive that it's like it has to it has to be a movie that works Mass for appeal. adults and kids exactly yeah. but when you're doing something like this you can kind of be like well this is for max it's you know we scale back on certain things we can do it for this type of audience and it works and i think that you know the sad thing is and this is kind of my worry that something like this is going to spark a hundred imitators and it's right. going to kind of kill off even wanting to see this. I hope not, but like I really enjoy this, and I think the fact that they have the cast that they have, and the fact that James Gunn is the one that's the showrunner here. As long as they keep that stuff intact, I think it'll maintain kind of like the soul that you kind of see it develop during the first season. And dude, not only did I enjoy the first season, but like now I'm like anticipating season two. I can't wait for it. It's I can't. Be awesome. I can't wait. I I told you I I did my own personal double feature because they were both on at the same time, uh, coming out with new episodes from week to week. Was Peacemaker and the Book of Boba Fett. So I'd watch the new yep. episode of Boba Fett, then the new episode of Peacemaker. I just loved doing that. It was like a great TV show double feature there uh, that I definitely miss already. But uh, two of my other big highlights. Hey, I just to, to wrap up. Uh, my take on season one of the Peacemaker as well was, of course, you know, again, not get too detailed into it, but the episode where there was a situation with a gorilla and a chainsaw was yep. ridiculous. And then, of course, uh, I won't spoil this at all, but there are there is a cameo at the end with a couple DC characters that have me dying. 
So. Yeah, dude. They, and we'll see. That's what I'm saying too. Like, I felt like this show like managed to like pay off the, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like they call back stuff yeah. to other episodes. Like they really do give you the reward for sticking along with the show. You know what I mean? It's and it's it didn't lose me through the eight episodes. Like there was no point. Like I started off watching it a little bit late, but then I was caught up watching it weekly. There was never a point where I was like, man, this is starting to get dry or uh, I didn't really like that. Like they all they give you something every episode. It keeps it moving along like they know what to do. They know how to to hook you along pretty well. So like I, I thought the whole thing overall was impressive because, again, I want to reiterate this. This is typically not something that I find myself into. And I'm definitely into this. I can't wait for more. I'm definitely wanting more. So that's why I was so impressed by this. I, I would uh, be remiss that we forgot to mention this Judo Master, too, was a great character. Yeah. He's eating uh, <laughs> flaming Hot Cheetos the whole time. Yes. And he's this little it's badass. He's a tiny little man. But, you gotta, but he's, he's impressive. Got to shout him out. So the, the tagline, hey, you know, for Peacemaker, they give peace a bad name. Can't complain there. So uh, I know it's a TV series. Do we normally do star ratings for this? Uh, I don't think we have when we've done TV series, but we haven't do too many. But why not, Hale? All right. What would you give season one of Peacemaker, the J? I'd go four out of five with Peacemaker. Yeah, that's exactly what I'd do. Four out of five. Uh, you know, with the potential of it being able to go up or down, I, I don't think that this, like, they could go anywhere with this show. Exactly. So. You know, I'm definitely looking forward to see what they they come up with because it it feels like a show where like they have a lot more in mind moving forward. You know what I mean? Like it's not like, well, fuck, now what are we gonna do? Like, no, they. I believe in James Gunn and I believe in this project enough to to think that they they know exactly what they're trying to do here. Yeah, James Gunn. It's in good hands with James Gunn. James Gunn comes from the trauma school, like we always say. And you know, I gotta just shout it out on the show being involved in independent film man he's somebody i look up to that you know came from the the lower depths all the way to doing shit like this and upper echelon of uh working with marvel and uh guardians of the galaxy and everything james gunn's the shit and there's a reason that the cream rises to the top hey ed and james gunn's another example of that from trauma to marvel great story but uh this is just an, an amazing creation of his own just coming from the, uh, the the love of the Peacemaker character, knowing he could do something with it, and then having the time during the pandemic to throw something together, having seen his support, and you have one of the, the standout hits of uh, you know the last couple months. Absolutely. So I hope you guys enjoyed the coverage of Peacemaker there. We have to take a quick commercial break. And guys, whenever we... C- Dude, oh, this gonna- is really weird. Oh, shit. No, 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 no. Wait, wait no, Jay, Jay. Hold on a second here. There was a ninja store right past my head. Dude, okay. I'm fine. Everything's fine over here. Okay, some. Katie's yelling up. Dude, someone just passed a note through my front door here while I'm... I have my binoculars. I'm trying to scope where the fuck that ninja store came from. You know what, the Jay? We got to take a break. I got to read you this real quick. Um, There's there's some very... But guys, we'll be back. We'll, we'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. This is Ed for the What's Real podcast, telling you about the IWC Wrestling's Superstar Showdown 2, Saturday, April 30th at the Ross Traver Ice Gardens in Belvern in Pennsylvania, featuring an appearance by the Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff Hardy in action, 
and Dirty Dango, formerly known as WWE's Fondango. All that and much more Saturday, April 30th, bell time at 7 p.m. It is the IWC International Wrestling Cartel Superstar Showdown 2. It's time for Thursday Night of Prime. And we're back here on the show. And, uh, man, I mean, you got a lot of, like, I'm, I'm pretty freaked out right now. You know, we have, uh, what the fuck? You know, I, we didn't think this over. We actually were a little arrogant, uh, doing, uh, Thursday Night Prime, because obviously, guys, it is the return of Thursday Night Prime. It's been a little while since we've done this. We haven't done this since last year. I guess we got a little cocky, the Jay. You know what I mean? Like, we have to, we got to really uh, re-up our, our artillery. There's not even any fucking ninjas here, dude. Like, wait, what were we thinking? I th- dude, I, you know me, man. I'm an Eagle Scout. And what's the Eagle Scout say? Be prepared. And I don't know how I am not prepared, hey, Ed, but due to the hiatus, they just caught us freaking unprepared, man. And, uh, you know, Katie helped patch me up. I got a freaking Chinese ninja star wound now in the shoulder. So add that to the Jay's scar list. But I remembered right right away why it's difficult to do Thursday Night Prime and why we go on hiatuses because already yeah, it's, it's bloodletting. It's expensive. It's it's painful. Um, it's you know there, dude. I before we started doing this podcast, I don't think I had any mortal enemies. Now I have like f- I think at least fourteen. Uh, last time I counted, it's probably higher now. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. Just. But anyway, uh, while we're at it, this is this is why we go through it. This is the return of Thursday Night Prime, and we have, uh, I guess, a Thursday Night Prime staple, if you will, as we continue on the American Ninja series this week with American Ninja 3 Blood Hunt from 1989, uh, directed by Cedric Sunstorm, Sunstrom, I should say. Um, but Jackson is back. And, of course, when I say Jackson... I'm talking about the legendary Steve James. Uh, and now he has a new partner, karate champion Sean, played by the world's most uncharismatic action uh, star <laughs> yeah. of all time, David Bradley. Uh, of course, there is no Michael Dudikoff. This is the very first American Ninja film without him. Um, but they must face a deadly terrorist known as the Cobra, who has infected Sean with a virus. Sean and Jackson have no choice but to fight the Cobra and his band of ninjas. Um, that's giving this one way more credit for a fucking plot than it has at all. Um, it, I mean, <laughs> that that's putting it mildly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna head into the the notes here. So we're gonna start out at the beginning of the movie. Um, Jared, I have a question to ask because you also watched this movie, and I, I need somebody to clear this up for me. Uh, what was the deal with all the fighting scenes at the beginning with the ninjas? Where they're basically just grabbing each other and like holding each other and yeah. doing things like really slowly. Yeah. And and it seemed like for and I might be wrong about the time here, but I'm gonna guess during the first half an hour of this movie, every single fight scene ended with a ninja getting thrown downstairs. <laughs> that that it, it came to cause a classic line of ours that watching American Ninja three by myself, I just said out loud with nobody else in the room. What the hell? 
That's true. And dude, you know what? That That's a good point that you bring up because it, it brings me to something else here in my notes that I had to bring up. Uh, I've, I have a lot of what the fuck moments watching movies. Okay. And I watch a lot of weird shit. Like, you know, like me and the J typically watch some goofy stuff, but like, I think even the J would give me this as like, I watch weird fucking shit, like with goofy shit, oh, yeah. all kinds of shit. And dude, the underwater fight scene in this <laughs> yeah. is the stupidest thing I've ever seen quite possibly. We got to spoof that one day. I, I don't know how. Like, it's, <laughs> just recreate it. They're just fighting underwater. True. Like, like, like <laughs> but see, they're acting like it's like it's painful above water. Yeah. Yes, it, like none of this shit would hurt at all <laughs> underwater, like at all. But like, I guess a for effort on that. But like, dude, and this is like so. Like halfway through this movie, there's a thing that that pops into my head where I'm like, okay. This isn't even a movie. This feels like more like guys going through boards on a video game than it does. Right. Like you're watching them because they show up somewhere and then they got to fight a bunch of people. And then there's like a boss that they have to. And like none of this makes any sense. It doesn't like really move the plot lines of the movie along. They're just in a bunch of random fucking fighting scenes with countless faceless ninjas. Yeah. And and you read down the the kind of bare bones synopsis, but I was cracking up. IMDB just had like a sentence description. It says <laughs> a man newly trained in the martial arts must save his trainer from experimentation. <laughs> Fucking experimentation. Jesus. It's like, are we even trying at this point? <laughs> yeah. Which, which do, pretty okay. much sums up the film. Well, let me give you one neat fact, I guess, here. So, as I mentioned earlier, this is the first uh, movie in the American Ninja series without Michael Dudikoff. Uh, he passed up on the third entry in the series because, uh, like the second, it was filmed in South Africa. And he was actually upset by what he saw of the apartheid regime when he was there filming the movie. And he refused to return. So, you know, it wasn't just money or anything like that. That's actually... he. After filming the second movie in South Africa, he was so disgusted by what he saw that he just refused to return to the country, even for an acting job. Yeah, so good I, for I him. Guess that's kind of kind of commendable, at least on his part. Yeah, they probably offered him like three hundred k, something like that. Third, you know, third film in a tri- in a trilogy. And that's in nineteen eighty nine money. Like when exactly, money was still money. <laughs> yeah, when money was money. But yeah, and, I, a little inside thing that cracked me up. Hey, you know, you know one of my made up characters that we used in in wrestling was he was one of uh, he was my version of the announcer when we did the broadcasting for IWL back then when we did the in house oh, yeah. wrestling league. Jake Andreas. Yep. And the dude was General Andreas, and I just that just cracked me up the whole time. Every time they because they didn't they took out the general most of it. They're just like, "Where's Andreas?" It's, like, oh, it's you're always like it, because it always that was always like one of those weird fucking tropes for some of these movies. Like they the names were so goofy that they would like stick in your head. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, but nobody would know what the name was from. So like you could definitely say it and they'd think you made the shit up or something because it's just like a generic like a like it's no ethnicity to the name. Yeah, because I, I think be anything. there was another one where the dude was named Andreas. I'm pretty sure like a Thursday night prime it, in the past that we did. So that's, that's it, hilarious it wouldn't surprise me. Oh, shit. I'm you know I'm, what I mean? I'm bleeding again. No, oh, that's wonderful. Tighten this but, shit up, dude. So. 
<laughs> like, first up, this this is kind of crazy. So, like, if you you thought to yourself, like, you know, Michael Dudikoff really ain't shit. What the fuck was he in besides some American Ninja movies? And he's like the goofy dude in Bachelor Party. But watch American Ninja 3, and you clearly see that he has about a million times more charisma points than this fucking dude that they replaced him with. Um, and I'm not even going to get into the fact that American Ninja 4 is essentially them bringing back Michael Dudikoff while keeping David Bradley. Yeah. And I'm like, great. I can't wait till the day comes where we review that on the show. And that becomes an entire clusterfuck because unfortunately, and this is literally the biggest thing here. Um, this is the final American Ninja appearance by Steve James. Ooh, like, thank God he was, Who in is, this. he saved this whole film. He absolutely it makes it watchable. Does. I mean, the, the Shalom y'all shirt, as we spoke off the oh, air, hilarious. Uh, does anybody really compare to Steve James in the American Ninja movies as far as the action hero with the greatest T-shirt collection maybe of all time? Hands down. For sure. uh, it's famous. WrestleMania T-shirt from one of the previous entries, that which I know we talked about uh, specifically when we reviewed it. Uh, because that's not making it past us as well. But, you know, the, the Shalom Y'all shirt uh, got a fucking loud laugh out of me. And, I, and it <laughs> was, was probably great. the only thing. And and I will say this, too. It's the only thing that got a, a loud laugh out of me other than things that probably came out of Steve James' mouth in this movie. Yeah, the uh, unintentional comedy was not abundant. It was just in how bad everything was. Like you said, like the underwater water fighting and shit. It was more like, like I say, palm the forehead than unintentional comedy on just how bad and, some of this shit was. And dude, here's the thing. Now we've seen up to this point and not just with American Ninja, we've seen multiple movies with Steve James and like, he's very competent as an action star. His fighting looks good. Like he can clearly shoot a whole plethora of machine guns, but it's like this movie, man, they just forgot all about fight choreography. So like all the fights are terrible um, I seen too that somebody else mentioned this. So uh, Cedric Sundstrom, the director, uh, made American Ninja three and four. Uh, he made a movie called The Revenger. Um, so he makes some really weird looking shit. But I seen him described as the world's most boring action director. <laughs> well, that's a great call. Dude, I, I have to read this off to you because this was too funny to pass up here on the What's Real podcast, The Return of Thursday Night Prime with American Ninja 3. And this is from IMDb, and you'll get a kick out of this. The entire plot of the movie relies on the villains kidnapping Sam and injecting him with a virus. They pick Sam due to his combative abilities early in the film. There is no reason to go through all the trouble they went through to get Sam, the tricks with disguising as his master, sending ninjas to attack him when they could have just stuck upon him unawares, especially when all it took was to shock him with their weapon to paralyze him. They could have snuck upon him when he was sleeping or at any time during the fights with this weapon to incapacitate him. This would have been especially useful when his friends had no idea where he was during the initial chase scene at the warehouse at the beginning of the fucking movie. There you go with continuity in American Ninja and, 3. And dude, the one thing that I have to bring up about this fucking movie is quite possibly the most cringeworthy thing I have ever seen. And I'm talking about, and I don't even know what the fuck you call this. It's the best thing that I can explain this as. But there's a thing in this movie 
that I guess it gives people fucking healing power or some shit or something like that. But it's when a person stands in front of you and does the, you would think I'm a fucking psychopath or a complete fucking mental patient. If I stood in front of you and did this weird hand thing that they do and it like does some, and it's like when they're doing it, it, I just think of myself, there's a time where there was a goddamn film crew, lights, a fucking cinematographer, all this shit on a movie scene with actors to film a woman or whoever doing this stupid thing with their fucking hands that is just like, it looks like some mumbo jumbo some asshole made up when they thought of karate that to be a thing that's not a thing. Yeah, it's like offensive. Some, yeah, I don't know if it's offensive. It's fucking stupid. I can tell you that. And it's like when they're do and they do it multiple times in the movie, and every time it's like worse. Like, what the fuck is this supposed to be? Dude, the whole icing on the cake, of course, is Marjo Gortner as the Cobra. Maybe the worst villain of all time, which is saying a lot. I think which, the other one was the lion, ironically, from uh, which one was that? A past Thursday Night Prime. They had the lion and he sucked ass. That, that, well, dude, it's weird as fuck, too, because Marjo Gortner is a very accomplished genre actor. Yeah, dude, it's Marjo Gortner, shit, like for Christ's sake. Food of the Gods, Mausoleum, Star Crash, fucking. I mean, he's in a ton of shit. A ton of stuff. You would de- most people, I think, that watch movies from this era would at least recognize him. From he's had a million TV roles as well, and it's just weird that you're you're absolutely right about the character. That they could have got a fucking broom with a wig to play this character. <laughs> it was so pointless. And instead, they get one of the more recognizable character actors from the time period to do it. Like, what the fuck was the point of that? Yeah, because you think you know they built it up towards the beginning when they're always referencing the Cobra. You know, and yeah, just, it, and, and the constant calling out for the Izumo character. So there's a scene where Sean is like, like Izumo is being kidnapped and he's trying to find this character and the character while being kidnapped will literally be carried by two guys slowly as he's like, Sean over here <laughs> and it's like and then he walks through a thing and then he sees him in a doorway and then the dudes bring him slowly down a staircase as he catches up and then he'll come down to the staircase and then he'll be in the room below like sean I'm down here <laughs> it feels like and this is why i said that this feels like a video game because you've played these games before the j where like your character walks in a room and then there'll be a character walking out of the room like please save me and you have to follow them down. The, it's like to lead you across the board. And it's like, but this is a movie. You don't need to do that. <laughs> like exactly. You're showing me a chase scene that shouldn't really be a chase scene because any kidnappers would have taken the dude by now. They're not waiting for you to catch up. It's really awkward and weird. And it's like, and dude, okay. I don't, I didn't remember going into this if I had seen this before. And I definitely haven't. Okay. And now I know why. Because this movie's fucking pointless. It's it has very little to nothing to do with the original series. Um, Steve James is completely wasted. Nobody else in this movie has any charisma or fucking care. Everybody's just coasting through this thing. And because of that, and, and on top of all that, like we were saying earlier, the action sequences and fights suck too. So like literally this one is a gigantic fucking waste of time. 
and even the subtitle that you could, it makes no sense for the plot or the film. You could tell they just thought it sounded cool because it's called American Ninja Three Blood Hunt. Yeah, and the only thing, I guess, because because of the virus shit, fucking yes. Which, by the way, and you know, sorry guys, this is a spoiler. It's a movie from 1989. Here, um, they give him a virus and they get him the antidote, and he's like, I don't even need it anymore. (laughs) So like it. So, like, everything you just watched was fucking pointless because he could have just left and been like, yeah, I'm fine. It's fine now. Like, he beat a virus by gumption, which, for the record, that's not how shit works. Even in action movies, that's not how shit works. So, like, overall, man, other than Steve James, this one is a complete skippable fucking mess. Yeah, Steve James saved it just for living because we we mentioned man shout out to steve james rest in power uh him popping up in this we we kind of looked it up because both of us uh weren't 100 percent sure but he passed away um in the early 90s at the age of 41 from pancreatic cancer uh so sad to see because like hey ed and i were talking about off air we would have loved to have met steve james he is an absolute one of the, one of the first first ballot what's real hall of famers hands down dude it if there was a Thursday night prime Mount Rushmore, Steve James is fucking on oh, that 100%. bitch. I don't care what anybody says, especially if, if it's our uh, Mount Rushmore. So uh, the J, do we have a tagline for American Ninja 3? Yes, we do. On IMDb, they have one. It wasn't on any of the posters. Now his most deadly enemy is time. There you go. So, And as we do here, we do a five-star rating scale. And man, we didn't need a lot of those stars for this one. I'm giving this one two stars, and that's just for Steve James. Yeah, I'll, I'll for Steve James, I'll give the half. I'll go one and a half. All right, fair enough. So we are going to be rolling on. And oh, one more thing I wanted to mention too. I don't know if you got this far. Did you hear the credit, the end credit song that played? Yeah, the Cobra today? Strikes. Yeah, dude, that shit was killing me. And <laughs> as we talk about, this is a staple, by the way, of uh, Thursday Night Prime, is when these movies have just completely out of nowhere goofy endings. And man, oh, this, this took one the cake. has the... This is the king of kings yeah. for those stupid out of nowhere endings. Where they literally show the title of the movie as the last scene is fucking yeah. finishing <laughs> yeah. up. They were kind of like, we don't even have time for this shit. Roll the stuff. While, while you tell them what's going on. Yeah, you can so, kind of pick up it, that this was a point in the canon you know, film group that was maybe the height of their use of cocaine. Yeah, and you can really tell this is like in the during the absolute dying days of canon. Like, what are we doing at the just, end, Bob? Like, I don't fucking know. Just put the title up. That'll be different to title but, 10. Like, <laughs> take that movie you filmed last year with Steve James in South Africa. We're just going to call it American Ninja 3. Fuck it. Blood hunt. To make money. I just yeah, thought of all that. right, I'll put the, put the blood. I'm, a, I'm the producer. Put that on there. We're not making it. Like, all right, this is why this company's going fucking completely out of control. So, <laughs> um, But that is the return of Thursday Night Prime. Join us next week where we are going to take a look at, we're going to go back to 1992 and take a look at Rage and Honor starring Cynthia Rothrock, another staple of the Thursday Night Prime series. So that rolls on. We're going to be doing these throughout the month of March. So uh, for the next uh, four weeks, uh, three more after this one, uh, Thursday Night Prime is back in full force here on the What's Real podcast. But we are going to take our last commercial break. And whenever we come back, guys, we are going to wrap up the show and we're going to go visit 
the majestic waterfall of goofs. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Hey, everyone. It's the J with the What's Real podcast here with Dad's Pub and Grub. What would Dad do? Suppose Dad was going to create the greatest hangout spot in the world. Would he have more than 100 craft beers? Check. Hard to find sweet seasonal brews on tap? Check. Juicy burgers seasoned with goodness and grilled to perfection? Check. Signature dogs and beloved favorites on the menu? Check. Comfortable for friends and family? Even your little brother? Check. Well, that's what Dan, Steve, and Eric set out to do. And of course, the trio had spent some quality years working together at a certain hot dog and beer joint in Monroeville. That's when they came to the conclusion that they could shape a bar and restaurant with the beer they love, the food they love, and the people they love to hang out with. And so Dad's was born. In its first year, Dad's has become a favorite hangout for many who stumbled in for the very first time. We hope to be your favorite spot too. Check us out on social media apps and at dadspub.com. That's dadspub.com. This is Timothy and James with the What's Real Podcast, welcoming you to Goose or Goose. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So the J, what do we got this week on the Goof front? I uh, love it up here. Hey, you know, as I fucking heal from the Chinese star that was thrown into my shoulder region here, taking it in on the Vista and this beautiful, magnificent waterfall full of goose here on the What's Real Podcast in episode 108. Is still consistent with that. Hey, yeah, we got some doozies. We're starting off with a couple viral videos like we like to do. So for those peeps listening, this is stuff you could eventually uh, look up if you haven't caught it. And we'll give you the, the description here. But this was sent from, you know, probably somewhere in like Africa or something like that, where the caption reads, no one help him, LOL. To set the stage, we're at like basically a little parade and a guy on- Or like a street carnival. Like a street carnival. Like and a dude's coming by on stilts and he kind of missteps and starts to wobble. He tries to catch himself and is unable to. The f- crazy thing about the video, though, there's a ton of people there that could have maybe got under him and <laughs> caught him. But everybody just runs as he plummets to the street from probably roughly like 15 feet in the air. Dude, it's because <laughs> I'm watching this. Shit. Yeah, it's <laughs> one of the things. <laughs> One of the things that kills me about this is like what one of the, like the stupid viral video things that my girlfriend gets a kick out of is like you ever see like when models are like walking down the runway in high heels and they buckle. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like, dude, this is like the gigantic supersized version of that. And I didn't realize because like, dude, I've thought about this, I guess, and not so much until now, but like you don't really see people falling on stilts very often. So like, it's not, it's not what you think it would be. You know what it reminds me of is, uh, what, what was the, uh, Billy Madison. Remember the clown? They knock him over and he gets a hemorrhage. Yeah, <laughs> He's there like three it's, parties later. He's still laying there. It's dude. It's just one of them things. Like you ever, like even when you were young or something, like, have you ever been doing something like climbing shit or something? And something happens and you, and it might be the most drawn out shit in the world, but you, you come to that conclusion at one point where you're like, bro, I'm going to eat shit so bad here. Yeah. Like, and that's what so he did. Cause bad. like I said, he misstepped and then he tries to get his, you know, he has his composure. He's, you know, probably been doing this for years. You just don't go on, on stilts in a street fair without practice or being uh, yeah. semi pro or pro. So he like tries to catch himself. He like kind of squats, which might be like a technique 
but it just didn't yes. it didn't work. And that's what I thought the same thing yeah. when he did that shit. I'm like, okay, that must be a way to like kind of regain your shit. Yeah. And then, and, but then like you can tell at one point he's just like, he's like, fuck, fuck. Like, yeah. here it goes. But you know what I what I thought, and for those listening, I'll describe it. So the guy on stilts is wearing these pants that were probably like part of the, of their country or whatever. They're they're gold, green, and red. And it's probably because I'm starving because hey, Ed and I typically do the show on empty stomachs. He looks it looks like he's wearing uh whopper wrapper paper. Um oh, you know right that yeah. sounds amazing. I know that's the sad thing. But yeah, you could look that up. It's off of Black Excellence Tube at Black Excellence Tube. It's the uh street fair performer that falls to, on Instagram. Yeah, luckily he's not he's not dead. It doesn't seem like he's seriously hurt. I try not to put things like that on here, even though that's happened a few times in the past. Moving on, Hate Yet is our <laughs> last viral video for Goofs or Goofs 108. And this one we sent to each other because it was too good to pass up, where it's a viral video of a traffic cop hitting a perfect professional wrestling move, a German suplex on a uh, person that uh, the traffic cop pulled over. And it's ridiculous this in the street. That I didn't realize Boris Malenko was a fucking street fucking cop like that like dude he that dude like that's what that, like okay i so this is a weird thing just being a wrestling fan but like seeing suplexes forever like you've seen every type of one thrown like you've seen dudes that shouldn't be doing the move hurting people you've seen brock lesnar just like whipping people around like dude i don't know if i've ever seen somebody like snap one yeah, like, just like for if you real. notice how fat, like, dude, how fast the like, holy shit, bro! I'm like, this motherfucker must have been like the goddamn wrestling champion of Essex or some shit, <laughs> yeah. wherever the because they're, I think it's a foreign country, where oh, for it sure. Is, but like, holy shit, dude, that like the velocity of that thing is brutal. And for our, for our loyal listeners, the visual comes from at Allen A L L A N underscore Cheap Shot on Twitter, and, uh, retweeted it and posted it. And I got to say, dude, this was a little bit of a redeeming moment for me because if you remember uh, not too long ago on Goose or Goose to Jay, you brought up that video where the dude uh, hits the pile driver, pile driver in, in the street. Yep. And, and it basically did nothing. And I was like, that killed my soul. It's nice to it's see. It's back. Your soul's back. Old, hey, the, the good old German suplex still gets the job done. Yeah, so I mean, I, the dream's not dead quite yet. That dude could very well easily be paralyzed. Yes. Let's hope not. Though. Let's hope or, not. May, or maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah, we Fuck. don't know the man, but it seemed like he was doing goofy shit. But yeah, German suplex by a traffic cop in Brussels. Unbelievable. Moving on. Uh, Goose or Goose 108. This one had me cracking up. Just because of the person that ended up saying this, uh, Andrew Garfield, because uh, as you know, Han, not too long ago, uh, this past week and weekend, the SAG Awards took place and Andrew Garfield yeah. actually won for Tick, Tick, Boom, which was surprising because there's some really good uh, other actors in the, you know, it's like Benedict Cumberbatch, Nicholas Cade, Pinger, P- Peter Dinklage, Will Smith and uh, Andrew Garfield won. And in his acceptance speech, because usually these are like really boring. But he just said he was looking to celebrate with Lynn Manuel Miranda, the composer, musician, uh, by tripping on shrooms with him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, dude, I watched a little bit of that the other night and it was super fucking weird because like everybody was like on Zoom and shit. It, it was just it was just a bizarre way of going about doing it. 
Michael Keaton had a nice fucking speech too, but like, yeah, it was very weird. So like, yeah, I can. That's probably the only way that it would feel weirder is watching it on shrooms. Yeah, kudos to him for that. Uh, He ticked off what they'll do together to celebrate, notably mushrooms. He says they'll take some caps while watching Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Quite the combo. Hey, yo. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't criticize it because I've done that before. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I just thought that was great in a SAG speech. You talked about shrooming with the creator of Hamilton. Why not? Yeah, exactly. It's 2021. Hey, Ed. Or no, 2022. (laughs) Oh, the witching hour. hour. It's here. All right. Welcome back. Next up is a personal friend of the show. uh, One of our main men. Love this guy. That's Matthew McConaughey. Hit the news recently. Do you see this one? Hey, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Where he had to defend uh, his hair. I don't know if you caught this one. But against what fucking uh, marauders? <laughs> against the uh, fucking raiders? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's okay. He had there was invading marauders on his haircut. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey says that his hair is homegrown, and a doctor lied about giving him a hair transplant. So yeah, he's taking he's taking offense. I can to, go either way on that one. <laughs> taking offense to a surgeon who claimed to have restored Matt's luscious locks via a hair transplant, and the actor says it's all a big fat lie. He acknowledges in the '90s he had to shave his head because his hair was getting super thin. Something happened though, because when he grew his hair back, his mane was inviable. So that's that's the oh, word yeah. of the day the- here on the What's Real podcast: inviable. So he's full of shit then, basically, is what you're telling me. Yeah, there was a TMZ update at 1044 this morning from this story that says, turns out Matthew has mentioned in the past he's used Regenix for his hair treatment. Uh, Jesus Christ. I don't That's is that something, I don't know. Like while we're on this top, is that something you would do? Like if you were going bald, would I, you do that shit or would you dude, say fuck it? I always said fuck it. I would I would shave my head. I have I have friends that did that. And they they seem to enjoy it. Shout outs to Runk and Hutch off the top of my head. But yeah, I always said that, dude. If it was like thinning and shit, I'd be like, fuck it. Do you know anybody that's actually done that shit before? Like the Regenix or any of that? Or like any kind of fucking hair replacement shit. I mean, I don't don't know anybody that's done it. Not personally. I just, Joe Rogan, listened to his podcast for years. He talked about it. And that's what ended up leading him to just saying, fuck it. He, well, dude, remember there was there was like that time period a couple of years back. I, I want to say like Wasina was one, and uh, Orton was another one, where like they had some sort of hair thing, like because they they both like had you know like it, well, that, and that that's what happened to The and Rock. Then, the Rock did that too. Well, and then and then they were trying to like work in movies and do certain things, and like I guess Orton was just trying to grow his fucking hair back, and it wasn't working out, so they had to go do. I don't know exactly what they did, but maybe it's the same thing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they like transplant shit. Yeah, luckily it's yeah. not something I have to worry about right now. Hate you out with my same weird Al Yankovic esque flowing locks that I currently have, but that's a story yeah. for another day. Hey, I've spent the more than half of my life shaving my hair away, so like I don't, you know. I wouldn't be mad at all if I just had to put a bick to my hair. So it just is what it is. But And continuing in tradition on the dub R question mark and goose or goose specifically, we are going to close things out with GRG 108 with crazy animal stories. Hey, Ed. Woo-hoo. Okay. My favorite. Woo-hoo. All right. So this takes place in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Love, love oh, our boy. peeps in Baton Rouge. A raccoon falls through a ceiling into the packed LSU dining hall. 
Could you AKA imagine this scene? Fucking the, the things are getting out of the kitchen. Yeah, it's like it's like the uh, the recreating the scene from the original Mission Impossible with Cruz, but with a raccoon. Oh Christ! I was thinking for I'm like, wait a minute. I'm gonna I have I'm gonna have something. put uh, I'm gonna have Cam put crickets in on that one. Well, well, no. I was gonna say the the good thing about that is uh, fucking the the creature's actually bigger than Tom Cruise. <laughs> a raccoon fell through the ceiling into a packed dining hall at LSU. A student screamed, and a cook tried to catch it in a basket. Freshman Danielle Gibson told the Reveal Student newspaper that everyone was standing up and looking around for a raccoon when she went into the 459 dining hall for dinner Wednesday. "Quote: I went and still got my food because I thought it was fake." The raccoon then ran underneath my table, and I immediately got on top of the chair. <laughs> Dude, pe- people are weird as fuck. I'd never be in a dining hall and be like, look at that fake raccoon. Like, I'm like, it's a fucking <laughs> raccoon. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not something that you see, and you're like, my eyes must be playing tricks upon me. <laughs> like, it's a fucking <laughs> raccoon where you eat, you fucking dummy. Hey, we're full circle. Hey, Ed, she was on shrooms. Give the broad a break. But yeah, dude, if, <laughs> if I was on shrooms and seen that, I think it's fucking King Kong. Yeah, you'd be like talking to it. Like, why is there this giant 14 foot gorilla in here? It's like, dude, it's a raccoon. Gibson says she lost her appetite, though, when friends told her the raccoon had been on top of her bag while she was gone. I am just scared that my bag has a disease, she said. Right now, it's funny to look back at it. But at the moment, I was traumatized. My appetite is definitely gone. That is an LSU education for you. I'm scared that my bag has a disease. Oh, I didn't I didn't know you had a Harry Potter living fucking bag. That's the it's the first time I've heard it's not the first time I've heard somebody say that sentence, but it is the first time I've heard somebody say that <laughs> sentence pertaining yeah. to that. <laughs> Shout out to our friend Constantino, whose bag had a disease. My, 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 My oh. bag has a disease. <laughs> oh, good way to go out, hate you. Between stilt guys falling in South Africa to tra- traffic cops, German suplex and mugs to hell, McConaughey's Region X hair, raccoons falling in, and uh, Garfield wanting to do shrooms. I say to my brother, goofs are goofs. So that's about it for us here this week on episode 108. If you guys are listening via iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. Helps out the algorithm, gets more eyes and ears on the program. Uh, Of course, you could listen each and every week on your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on churchillpictures.com. If you'd like to add anything to the show, feel free to send us an email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com but before we get out of here i hear the j revving it up so the j take it away revving it up because my bag doesn't have a disease hey yo we're revving it up in celebration of that as i say love the show our weekly shout out to the man that that saved us got us back to that high quality that we want to give our peeps and that we don't need to do consistently every week the wizard behind the boards cam thanks for all you do cam this week you got us back on track and we can't Thank you enough. You're the man. To my bro from another Mo, hey, Eot, it was another great week, man. The 108 was a blast. Had a lot of fun. As always, Steve McQueen in it with my boy, the great escape from all this craziness. 
that is the thing called life. And anybody hearing my voice right now, I hope you're at least entertained and enjoying the fun and shenanigans here on the What's Real podcast. As I say, leading the charge from Hey Up, stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that's about it for us here this week. Of course, uh, to Killa Cam, the producer, the wizard behind the boards. Thanks again for everything you do to keep the show sounding great, man. Thank you very much for everything. And of course, as we know here on the show, nobody beats the whiz. And to you, the J, Clang Clang, brother, another successful uh, defense of our podcast tag team championships of the world. So join us next week, guys, for episode 109 and beyond. That is it for us this week here on the show. So stay safe, stay healthy, go Ukraine, and we'll see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. Clang, clang, Ukraine. <laughs>